everyone, and welcome to Player vs. Plot, the podcast where we take video game stories seriously. I am Lindsay, and I'm pretty excited because I think today's episode has been a long time coming. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Often requested. Yep. <laughs> I'm Sterling, and with us, as always, Chris, and today we are going to be talking about Metal Gear Solid 1. Specifically, I want like the bah, 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 like exciting trumpet noises. That's <laughs> 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 is, is that a record scratch? What was that? No, the the surprise sound. Ooh, okay. When people see oh. it, like, <gasps> like Metal Gear yeah. Solid. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I, yeah, yes. Yes. yeah. Like I think that was how on message. I like it. That's Maybe my favorite part about that game. Is it really? No, because I I, like I know what your favorite part of the game is. Yeah, it's hiding in a bathroom stall. <laughs> yeah. Waiting for a guy to walk up to a urinal and then choking him out and playing out your darkest fantasy. I, I will say I definitely had some I, apparently unique strategies in my playthrough of the game. I guess now is a good time to get into our personal histories with it. Yeah. As per usual, I did not play this game when it came out and was a big deal and instead played it for the first time two years ago. <laughs> We're really going to admit to this <laughs> that we've been trying to do this episode for two years. Oh, well, it yourself. took a long time to get the story straight. So <laughs> so I went into it definitely with a lot of modern sensibilities and had some trouble wrapping my head back around this three-dimensional space using a D-pad. And I did find that the the stealth assassin within me thought it was a great strategy to just you know, lure unsuspecting soldiers into the restroom and get them while their backs are turned. And it was effective and efficient. Except you didn't, they, it was an endless stream of people going to the bathroom. So you just yeah, hid, yeah, waited. Yeah. And it was like 15 <laughs> solid minutes of you and not she, progressing anything. It's not like she found it less fun. At no point did she ever <laughs> stop and say, is this enough people? It, I, as long I mean, as, as I long as people are coming in, I'll be there to kill them. I think that was. You no, know, it's a little. It's it's almost disconcerting because sometimes when I'm at a urinal, I think, boy, I sure am exposed right now. I'm an easy target right I, now. I taught you a valuable. That's why lesson. I face out when I'm at a urinal and just pee on the floor. Yeah, weirdly enough, that's, that's why good, I, I never used urinal. Lindsay wouldn't be able to choke you out like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's just a mess that way. <laughs> so this was your first time playing the game it was for this episode. Yes. And I and I had never played any Metal Gear game. So this is also my first Metal Gear game. And what did you think Metal Gear was about before you played it? A lot of convoluted, confusing things. Definitely before going in, if like gun to my head, I had to figure out what Metal Gear Solid was about. A snake guy who can be in a box. That's important. I learned that from Super Smash Brothers. And he okay. has exclamation points above his head when he sees things. And I know there's a thing where you put the controllers in different controller jacks. You knew that? Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, that, that's common knowledge and, at this point. Is it? Yeah. And <laughs> okay. there is some cloning happening. And You knew the boss. cloning too? Oh, yeah. And eye she patches. She just didn't know much about who and what was being cloned. So, like, you know, I, as a, I guess, an quote unquote insider from this episode's perspective, some of these are surprising things to hear is just, you just like pick up through cultural osmosis. Yes. There's clones. Yeah. There's some controller jack shenanigans. I think it's so made fun of for how convoluted and unique it can be that the more extreme parts 
Well, I say that, but there are extreme parts of this series that still surprise me. But a lot of the more out there plot points definitely transcended in things that everyone was like, oh, yeah, that's crazy, right? And I would just be like, yeah, Mm -hmm. I I totally remember that part of that cool game. Okay. So what about you, Sterling? I watched a couple people play it when I when it first came out. I never had it. Uh, it's like real people. Yeah, real. Be, yeah, be Twitch. No, of course not. There's no Twitch back then. I don't know. Maybe everyone thinks back you're in my day we had friends. <laughs> back in my day, Twitch was wa- looking in the window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just looking through the bushes, hiding there with your little knocking. No, I'm just kidding. No, I I, I was too young. Finally, Jaws too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I watched some people play it, and I I'd talk about it at school, but there really wasn't much more to it than that. So I, I knew everything that happened, but I never personally played it. Okay. And in my case, I did play it when it came out, but I was like eight when this game came out. I can't even imagine. And boy, this game reads very differently when you're eight. First of all, I had already played Final Fantasy VII. So like I had played games where, you know, things were kind of dark and there was a lot of like explicit violence and And terrorism, cursing and terrorism and like all kinds of you know, adult, quote unquote, adult things. But I still, I guess I still kind of felt like because Final Fantasy VII was still like an RPG with swords and magic that it was still directed at me, maybe like a couple of years older than I was. I, even now looking back, I would agree that Final Fantasy VII in many ways feels like it is packaged like, oh, look at these shiny adult concepts mm-hmm. and sensibilities packaged for a younger yeah. audience. It's definitely targeting and not not to disparage it in any way. It's still I would say still targeting like a teenage audience. Oh, for sure. It's just and like young adult books, you know, are readable for young adults, but they're still fun and great right. reads. But Metal Gear Solid to me, I was like this game is not for me. <laughs> That's how I feel right now too. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no cuz like it was so it wore on its sleeve how much of a movie it was. Well, like yeah. Like when a voice, like a, a character comes on screen, like a voice actor credit is shown. Yeah, but the opening and, credit, the opening like cutscene of this feels very movie-like. Yeah. You see, uh, what's his name? David Hayter. For some reason, the voice actor and the name of Snake? David is the name of, okay. Dave is the name of Snake. Well, I, I don't know. Like yeah. My, my, my grasp is on this weird. is all First very of all, tenuous. Snake is the name of Snake. <laughs> so, <laughs> Obviously. Are we going to call him Dave or Sekiro? <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, like when he was coming on and swimming through, you have like the opening credits, like at the start of a movie. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty cool because at this time period, you didn't get yeah. many games really embracing that cinematic movie Especially style. Especially non-RPGs. Right. Like, Metal Gear Solid is very clearly an action-adventure game. So for it to have these, like, really... And I think this is even before Ocarina of Time came out, though I could be wrong. What's the year for Metal Gear Solid? Do you know if They were both 98. It was even more, like, cinematic feeling than Ocarina of Time was. Like, when the cutscenes come on, like, letterboxing would happen on the screen. Yeah. And there was just... There's a sensation of camera work yeah, and angles telling a story. Yeah, some great camera work, like more than you would be used to seeing in a game, even a 3D game yeah. at the time. You just I looked it up. Uh, you saw that uh, Ocarina of Time was released November 21st, 1998, and Metal Gear Solid September 1998. Wow, right so. before. So we didn't really know who, what to expect from a game doing that at the time. So that alone blew me away, but also just like... Now, I think when we play it, we're like, wow, this game really wants you to know how smart it is. (laughs) 
in certain ways. But as a kid, I was like, whoa, they're just casually throwing out all these acronyms and talking about like real history and how it's like impacting the plot and, you know, things I still think are pretty cool about it. But especially as a kid, it gave me this idea that this was the most complex game story I had ever seen before. I would argue it probably still is. <laughs> I, this game, I mean, obviously famously convoluted, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I think that many of the things that make it convoluted and complex huh. are that it doesn't satisfactorily answer some of the mm-hmm. questions or threads it puts out there. I think it's like like a movie, try, like funnily enough, like a movie that tries to throw everything yes. and the kitchen sink in there to make it seem so convoluted and complicated and intricate and some of it works better than other things. And I should I should probably let the listeners know what my where I'm coming from with this too because you know this game is so important to me and like was so important to me as a child and when we played this together I think that was like the fourth time I had played it and Boy, every time I have played Metal Gear Solid, I have enjoyed the gameplay a little bit less <laughs> each time. The story, I feel like the story, my appreciation of it has been kind of a roller coaster where I'm like, oh, Kojima's a genius. And then I don't think Kojima is a good writer. And then who cares if he's a good writer? It's saying interesting things. And I think that's kind of where I'm at now, where I'm like, is Metal Gear Solid a good game or a bad game? And my answer to that is it doesn't, doesn't matter. Ha- doesn't okay. matter. I agree. I mean, need to play this I game. think it's just groundbreaking in the fact that they had a knock mechanic mm-hmm. and that's it. That, 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 that made the whole game for me. The fact that I could. Another thing that blew Lindsay's mind. Stand against yeah. a wall <laughs> and cool. just go knock, 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 knock. Huh? What was that noise? <laughs> I. Footprints. I have to say I'm kind of with you on the fact that it's, I don't know if I could say it's a good game or a bad game. I think that the story has a certain earnest charm to it. Like, I don't know if it's very successful or convincing at doing some of the things it wanted to do. But boy, I I love I love that it swung for it. Yeah, I and like, it'll it'll make you think about a lot of things a little bit differently, especially if you think about it in the context of when it was released. It's kind of like asking if Houseu is a good movie or like I don't know that movie or like <laughs> Chris is like let me think of a good you know metaphor. What? Okay, you know what this game like Houseu, which I'll show you guys that in the break is <laughs> this game for should be in the Library of Congress. It is culturally important. Right. Is this game not in the Library of Congress? Probably is. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> but like, you know what? This would this should be in the Criterion Collection if such a thing existed for, for games. games. I don't like every movie in the Criterion Collection. I don't think most people like every movie in Is this them. a Houseu thing? But, huh? Is Houseu, what is, is Houseu Houseu is movie? also in the Criterion Collection. I, I was, yeah, I was trying, yeah. To, I was trying to find like, the origin The Criterion Collection is about collecting movies that are culturally important and that you should see to broaden your view of the world, to like be exposed to new things. So like Houseu, H-O-W space S-U-E. H-A-U-S-U. H-A-U-S-U. So it's, it's Japanese. Just, it's just house. It's I thought Japanese it was like like some sort of like old movie where they've got like the 70s do and they're like, Houseu? <laughs> Houseu How? is a, a movie, oh. a horror movie about like three or four girls, each of whom has like a weird power or like a personality gimmick who go to like a haunted X-Men house. Like X-Men style? Only one of them. Oh. Wow. Two of them. Okay. I, I was definitely getting more Lucille and Ball vibes. They go to a haunted house to with their teacher and they all slowly get murdered by this haunted house. So their powers aren't very good. And most of them, no. Okay. One of them is like a super martial artist type or something. Ooh. And then 
First, like the the script for Haosu is uh, written by I think the the director's like ten year old daughter or eight year old daughter or Uh-oh. something like that. Okay. I have to admit, yeah, sounds... that daughter is very smart because uh, that movie is brilliant in all the ways you don't expect it to be. See, I was going to say, oh, written by a 10-year-old sounds just like Metal Gear Solid. Aww. I, I'm sorry. Me. Okay. Well, I it is a little... It is. <laughs> yeah, 10-year-olds probably wouldn't know about nuclear proliferation <laughs> and rail guns. They don't know and... what a SOCOM is. I don't know what a SOCOM <laughs> is. <laughs> but like House is like one of those movies where it's like, it's so weird and it like it's hard to say it's good, but you will come out of it thinking like, that movie changed something about me. I, yeah, I've been thinking about this a little lately, like the idea of what I expect out of art and what mm-hmm. is good versus bad. And I think there's one spectrum of, okay, was this technically good? Did it meet these sort of expectations I have? But the other continuum you can look at it on is, did this evoke... Emotion. Yeah, like a reaction. Did it encourage me to engage with yeah. it? Well, did it make me feel like I'm a little bit different? I have a problem. Yeah. I, I just have a problem with that emotion definition, and I always have, because they're like uh, the people that have used that and told me that art is anything that makes you feel an emotion. I I just don't like that, because if it doesn't make me feel anything, that's also impressive, because I'm generally feeling things. If it doesn't make me feel anything, like I'm putting that in my meditative room and just like going there <laughs> okay. to just sit and just not feel really? anything. That's such a unique take. Because... I, anything, I like like everything is art in that definition. And maybe, yes, No, that's my true. default Wait, is but, neutral. But Sterling, you're, I don't understand you're this. You're saying some things are not because some things don't make you I'm, feel anything. Well, I'm saying that not everything, that I don't like the definition because I think mm. that, You don't like that it's, it's, it revolves around emotion. Yes. Oh, I, I think that the emotion of it and being feeling something, not feeling something, I think that that's all part of it. No, I would, I would, sorry, I disagree. I think that's a weird, sorry. Sorry to shut that down, but I disagree. <laughs> First of all, neutral is my default where I'm like, okay, someone is trying to do something and I don't care. So I think when they describe it as an emotional response, it doesn't necessarily literally mean, does this make you feel happy or sad? Oh, you're saying like it I moves think- you outside of your... When I say comfort zone, it moves you outside of whatever your neutral position yes. would be. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Like, I think it's that it makes you want to know more about what is happening. You're like, you know what? There's something interesting there, and I want to know more about it. That kind of bridges what Sterling is saying, because Sterling is saying if he's normally kind of like feeling really emotional or... Which is a surprising way for Sterling like to identify and, as and, the emotional <laughs> one. And something kind of helps center him then that has moved his That's mental true. state somehow. Then it is calming. Yeah. I don't know. I just... Unlike Metal Gear Solid. All I'm saying is I take umbrage with the emotion thing. I get why people use it. It's just not for me. I, I don't know how I would define art. I'm going to table this and Sterling and I will have to unpack I'm this glad, later. Well, I'm just glad Sterling got a platform to I put know. that out there. But It's like, suck it, art teacher from fourth grade. <laughs> Hashtag not art. <laughs> So, I mean, I I agree with you, Lindsay, where these days I feel like the older I get, the less I care about if I think something is technically good, which is great if it is. And the more I care about whether it changes me or changes how I look at the world somehow or makes me think some new thoughts. And I don't think there's a single Kojima game that has failed to do that for me. Okay, just to be a real quick refresher for me, has Kojima made anything that's not Metal Gear Mm -hmm. or... um 
the new one with the walk. Stranding. That's Stranding. Yes. He made uh, Snatchers, which is like a detective adventure game. I lo- love the name of not that Snatchers. game. Snatcher, sorry. Either way. <laughs> it's like Donna Summers. It's not actually Donna it's like Summers. It's a visual it's novel Donna that Summer. you played with a gun. Okay, cute. Like like your controller was his gun. Wait, like, like uh, Area 51 from the arcades? Like a light gun. Yeah. Okay. Like it's an oh, so it's an actual light gun that you're yeah. playing with. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm not saying the character has a gun like every other game. I mean, I, like you it really are is holding unique. A, contr- a gun, yeah. Because they gave a character in a video. See, game. I was just being snarky, but <laughs> I, I, I learned something. The gun something. is even called the Enforcer, the Sega Enforcer. I think. Okay. And what else is there? Anything else noteworthy uh, that police you made? knots? Which I think is less popular than Snatcher, but another game people talk about a lot. I just love that it's called Snatcher. (laughs) And he made Bokutai, which is like the game you had to go in the sun to play. Like Takeshi's Castle? No, no, no. Like you had to take your Game Boy and had like a sunlight sensor and you take go outside. That was a sunlight sensor on the Game Boy? No, it was actually on the cartridge. It would stick out a little bit, I think. Okay. Um, He made Zone of the Enders. Had some interest in playing around with the concept of what is a video game and what does a video game ask players to do, which is cool. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons we want to talk about it on this podcast because of how it pushes the envelope. It pushes the envelope in ways that I think, good or bad, have had a significant impact on the industry. Like I, Metal Gear Solid doesn't just make video games more cinematic, more movie-like. It also, it like it goes to the extreme in both directions where... You could spend hours not touching your controller while playing this game, but also you could be touching your controller in ways that other games don't have you do that. Yeah. Like in meta ways, right? So it's it's like a very experimental game. What, that it's so experimental that you couldn't beat it if you rent it from Blockbuster? Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm still mad about that. <laughs> um, before we uh, get to the actual plot of Metal Gear Solid... What is Metal Gear? Like, what kind of game is Metal Gear? It's uh, an action stealth game, I I guess. I would define it that way. The box says, uh, quote, tactical espionage action. That's so funny because that's exactly what I was going to say. Really? (laughs) I think the espionage stuff came later. In, like, Metal Gear Solid 2, you have to, like, take pictures of things and stuff like that. I also think, I think that... Maybe tactical espionage could have been the code for stealth because stealth wasn't really a that's a good point genre or a gameplay approach so much at that point or it's not. It's also a- like the flavor, right? Yeah, like a lot of what you're doing in the story is espionage, even if it's not tied to like a button. Yes, I agree. No, I like that description of it. It's definitely it's like they did their research and homework and got the right words to describe. <laughs> it what feels it is. less like. It's a game that could just be like, yeah, it's a third-person shooter, but it really isn't. That would be really funny if on the cover it said Metal Gear Solid, third-person shooter. I don't even right? know. I'd call it a bird's-eye shooter. As a kid, shooter. I wouldn't even know what that meant because— That's fair. I think 98. I had played first-person shooters, but I didn't think of them by that term at the time. It's like, I played Doom, but— Yeah, people just call them like, you know, it's like Doom. It's a Doom-like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a Doom That doesn't really become centralized either until, like, Half-Life? I mean, would that be fair? Yeah, That's this, this came out the same year as okay. Half-Life, actually. Well, I don't know about the term first-person shooter, but but either way, for There's me as a kid, I didn't... General know. awareness of it as a genre yeah. thing and expect ex- expectations of tropes of the genre, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, no, I definitely think this is an important game, even in, like, genre. Tactical espionage shooter. A T-A-S. T-E-S. Espionage. I had to retake it. <laughs> 
So why tool assisted shooter? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we uh, start diving into the story a little bit so we can yeah. get through? I think it. it's important to. I mean, it was. I, I've had trouble as someone who never played these games. Metal Gear Solid One is not the first Metal Gear game. It is not right. The first was now we're gonna have to. In order to talk about this story, we do have to talk about the two games before it. For the audience, I have to tell you what our perspective in this analysis is going to be because, you know, there are a lot of games that came after Metal Gear Solid and some of them actually retcon things about Metal Gear Solid. Or are prequels. Or they're prequels the retcon- yeah, yeah, the retconning. Um, so we are going to analyze this from the point of view of you have not played any game beyond Metal Gear Solid. What would your experience be like assuming you have played the games it expected you to have played, which are Metal Gear 1 and 2, the games before it? And um, we won't even talk about Metal Gear Solid 2 or 3 or anything like that. Yet. Yet. <laughs> Metal Gear Solid 3 was so cool. All right, I we're really done. like that game. Yeah. And that's it. That's where we're going to draw the line. So pretend we're in 1998 and I'm explaining to you what Metal Gear Solid is, what the story is. So Metal Gear started as a computer game in 1987 on the MSX2. I say the MSX2 because at the time, you know, computers were like, a single configuration. Right. Like you just had the Apple II, you had the Commodore 64. The MSX2 was a Microsoft-made computer like that in Japan that was very popular, and it was a little bit more advanced than some of the consoles you could buy at the time. And so the creator, Hideo Kojima, was trying to make a military action game, but he found that because of the limitations of the MSX2, he could only have a few sprites on screen at once without them disappearing. So how do you have, like, big gunfights if you can't even see the enemies or the bullets that are coming at you? So in order to deal with this limitation, he instead took inspiration from the movie The Great Escape. And he decided... Which I have not seen nor heard of. Well, I take all my inspiration from that movie anyways and everything I do. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure that I have never seen The Great Escape. But my understanding is that it is a movie about a bunch of prisoners who have to try to figure out how to get out of like a POW camp or something like that. That's a good name for that movie. If you asked me what to name that concept, I would Mm -hmm. come up with The Great Escape. Yeah. That's idea number one and we would leave early. Like no one's ever made this movie before. Take a long lunch. (laughs) So, you know, uh, it's a movie about having to scavenge for resources and try to avoid direct confrontation. And that's what Metal Gear 1 is. Okay. Appropriately, in Metal Gear 1, you play as Solid Snake, who is deployed with no resources to this rogue military facility in South Africa called Outer Heaven. And Zanzibar. He has to rescue... Uh, a foxhound member named Gray Fox. Zanzibar is actually the next one. Oh, and I will oh, say importantly, Snake is from the U.S. He is a U.S. military guy. Yes. He's from a, like a secret right. uh, military organization called Foxhound. And that's why he has a name Snake. Like, they're all codenamed after animals and colors. And, and sometimes, sometimes bugs. And bugs. Are, and sometimes sea creatures. I guess it's adjective... Psychomantis, yeah. <laughs> decoy octopus. Yes. Boom. Two that aren't quite into that. Well, there has um, to be some yeah. sort of like Metal Gear Solid name algorithm. I actually used it once oh? when I was a kid. Do you remember what you were? I got. It's actually how Donald. No, wait, no, no. He got his from the Wu Tang. No, I know. I was making a joke saying Donald Glover got his from the. His... See, that's the problem. I I used both of those as a kid in the early two thousands and combined. Them. And I both of them gave me crab related names. 
because remember, like the Wu Tang Clan, like they're named like they're like Whoa, killer bees. Enemy. So a lot of the names are animals. I love giant that. enemy crab. <laughs> so I got like army hammer crab for one of them, and then something else crab for the other one. And I was like, what matters this is, is my identity now. You are adjective crab. Yeah, I love that for you. So the first Metal Gear is called that because what's in this South African facility is a, is crab. a walking <laughs> bipedal tank uh, that can like launch weapons of uh, mass destruction, right? And so I think I think the whole nuclear angle was not as big of a deal in Metal Gear One. I think that so came is, later. Is this big walking thing Metal Gear? Yes. This metal, this big bipedal tank that can shoot rockets from its shoulder or something, and so. And there's only the story, one. There can only be this, one. It's the Highlander of metal tanks. I don't think there can only be one, but that's like... There is only. That it's is like, the It's like the Death Gear. Star. There's, yeah, there's, it's like the Death Star. There's right. one. For now. But for now, there will be Blow another. it up and see what happens. So in order to stop this super weapon from being deployed, uh, Foxhound sends in their top agent, Gray Fox, and he gets captured. And then they have to send in the new guy, Solid Snake, which is... You. And so I kind of love that. You are not the first choice for this mission. You are not so well equipped. Uh, you have to kind of figure things out as you go, right? And that kind of suits the, the stealth theme. I, I, I got a question that mm-hmm. might spoil something for later, but like, how are you the new guy? In what, what do you mean? How are you the new well, guy? Well, like, uh, isn't Snake some sort of genetic experiment? Yes. So how can you be I think new Snake was to- in training... For a long time. Okay, so they like... this is like his mission where they're like, well, let's see what he's capable of. So they made like a a soldier from scratch and they trained him and they're like, this is your first in field, in the field mission. But to be clear, he doesn't know that in this game? He does not know that. Do you think Hideo Kojima Um, knew that in this game? I don't think he knew that. (laughs) Uh, Well, what Kojima did know is that Snake is being commanded by his adoptive father, Big Boss. He's the guy on the radio telling you where to go, what to do. And you get to the end of the game and you rescue Gray Fox and then you make it to Metal Gear and you find the person who's commanding Outer Heaven, like the the big boss, the big the leader of the, the big boss terrorist. <laughs> I, I spoiled it. So and Outer are. Heaven is the terrorist. Mm-hmm. And you are Foxhound. And you are fighting against the terrorist. You've saved Gray Fox. Yes. Is well, Gray I, Fox I really... I guess this is like a private military organization. Gray Fox is pretty awesome because he gets to be the animal that the whole company is named Exactly. After. He's the top ranked agent. That makes agent. sense. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Is this like 007? Like if you're and, the and, best, you get to be something Fox? 007? Yeah. He's he's named after MI. MI6 is named after him. I do think Fox is the highest. Right. No, technically Big Boss <laughs> is the highest and Fox is the highest one that you actually like deploy. Okay. I got and it. And so you get to the end. The top, like the leader of Outer Heaven is Big Boss. He's been a Manipulating you the whole time. Oh, no, Big boss never gets deployed because he's already deployed himself <laughs> to the he spot. Because he's telling you what to do. He's the guy on the the guy on the radio or whatever. Yeah. And um, so you defeat your father, Big Boss. It's very Oedipal. And then you destroy well, Metal a Gear. A little Oedipal. <laughs> halfway to being Oedipal. Oedipal. I would put it at a third. A third. Oh man! Speaking of Oedipal, wait till you get to Metal Gear Solid Three. Uh-oh. Anyway, um, <laughs> that doesn't. You know what? Wait, isn't Big Boss there too? Big Boss is in Metal Gear Solid 3. It's where you meet Snake's mom. Will you defeat multiple moms actually? You know, I thought we drew a line in the sand saying <laughs> sorry, sorry. no more. Such a good game. So you defeat <laughs> Big Boss here in one. You defeat him is and he then, dead defeated? Paint me a picture of how defeated he is. He is off screen dead. I think no, I he's 
conclusively dead looking in one. Okay. I'm pretty sure. He's dead looking. What does that mean? (laughs) And he has graphics. I think he just disappears. Well, maybe let's jump into two. And then in two, you are being sent out by a guy named Roy Campbell, who is the new commander of Foxhound. And he calls Solid Snake out of retirement in 1999 to go to a place called Zanzibar Land because the leaders of Zanzibar Land have kidnapped a scientist who discovered the solution to the world's oil crisis. Wow. What? He sounds pretty great. I want to know what they're using him for. Maybe a good reason. Yeah. Is it like not oil? Is it wind? Is it solar power? Is it... Does Zanzibar Land it's have a lot of metal oil? gear. Wait. I don't know. <laughs> I, I always thought it was Zanzibar, not Zanzibar Land. It's uh, Zanzibar Land. But a lot of people call it Zanzibar for short. So I could just call Greenland Green for short. If you want to, man. There's not enough of <laughs> So this game, um, you go to Zanzibar land and a lot of things that you see in Metal Gear Solid are introduced here. Like the basic premise of what you're doing, like you're rescuing hostages and you're like trying to get new key cards and stuff. Kind of similar to Metal Gear 1, but now you have like a radar that tells you where the enemies are and where they're looking. You get like that, this missile that you can remote control and guide on its own. There's like nuclear weapons discussion in this one. And also you fight Gray Fox in a minefield because now he's allied with Big Boss. And Big Boss is undead. Big Boss is once again the villain of this game. Do they explain how he's okay or do they just assume you'll accept it? I honestly don't remember. Okay, that's all right. I don't I mean, remember if it's supposed... I think it is definitely a surprise. And then the other thing that complicates this is that I don't want to say too much about for sure what the state of Big Boss is in this game, because if you were to follow the series further, you would find that what I say is essentially meaningless. <laughs> but Wait. suffice to say that Big Boss is alive in this game. Don't think about it too hard. But you told you me he's him. dead. Yeah, and he's again, he's alive in this one, okay? Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? That's not even true, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but it was dead. true. It Wait. was true at the time it the game came yes, out. At, at the time that Metal Gear Solid came and out. And then later they were like, I guess that doesn't make sense. Let's add some more nonsense. Yeah, later they were like, actually, that was a clone of Big Boss who looks exactly like Big Boss and looks like Solid Snake, too, and you play as him, and also he trained Liquid Snake, and also... And next you're going to tell me the president's a clone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so um, a lot. this game is kind of where Metal Gear got a lot more complex, a lot more political, a lot more direct about what it was trying to Wait, say. Is there a Metal Gear in this game? Yes, there is another Same Metal thing. Gear in this game. and um, But only one? Yes. I like that. But this is all, another theme that kind of gets introduced in Metal Gear 2. And this is why Metal Gear 2 is kind of, if I were to tell you, like, play any game before Metal Gear Solid, it would be Metal Gear 2. Because this is kind of the game that Metal Gear Solid is truly a response to and like a sequel to. And a lot of things that, like, are referenced in Metal Gear Solid are actually from Metal Gear 2. Okay. Right. I mean, I remember them talking about Zanzibar in Metal Gear Solid, mm-hmm. which is why I assumed that Metal Gear 1. Yeah. Had- and, like, Roy Campbell is from it. Yeah. And, like, Gray Fox and whatever. There's Roy a- Campbell being the guy that goes, Snake? Snake? Yes. Snake! <laughs> There is a weird sense in Metal Gear Solid that they expect you to know things from Metal Gear Two especially. Right. And I find that interesting because they didn't call it Metal Gear Three. Right. And yet they're pretty explicitly building upon yeah. pieces already. Like it's put named in play. like a reboot. Well, I feel like this kind of expectation of knowing a little bit about the background 
does help with world building in some sense in that it feels like there is a world where things have That's already true. happened. Kind of Because I mean, most it, people did understand. Right. Oh, actually, well, let me I don't know that about far. that. <laughs> um, but I'm saying, similar to Witcher 3, how that was my first Witcher game, mm-hmm. it happened on referencing the events from 1 and 2 and the books and all sorts of things. Right. And but that you made can me still f- enjoy the game without... Right. Yeah. It made me, I was able to enjoy the game and say, wow, what a filled out world this is. I think Metal Gear Solid is probably right on the cusp of that, but it probably gets a little leeway because things that are introduced within the game are still confusing. It's it's especially in part because Metal Gear Solid takes so much inspiration from a lot of like postmodern literature and like comic books and things where you are kind of expected to be surprised by dramatic turns that add a, almost a little bit of magical realism into the game. Like I would I could see that. I would even describe Metal Gear Solid or Metal Gear as a mildly magical realism series for a while until they decide everything is explained by nanomachines. <laughs> but like there's like hard sci-fi elements and then there's just touches of magic that are only a little bit there in Metal Gear Solid, but they get like ramped way up in Metal Gear Solid 2 and on. Nanobots. Um, but they're not explained by that. That's the crazy <laughs> oh, different thing. It's things. just fucking magic. Yeah. Well, Psychomantis is an example. Right? Well, that's I mean, true. that's true. But the thing about magic and technology is that a technology that is so far <laughs> beyond where we're at mm-hmm. is, indistinguishable. Is, is indistinguishable from yeah. magic. So that, that is the explanation they eventually go with. But I think some of that stuff is supernatural in this game. All right, so you're telling me that this stick of wood that you have is actually nanomachines, (laughs) and when you say Avada Kedavra, (laughs) it shoots out nano bullets. That is kind of uh, where we're at right now in Met- in the Metal Gear Solid series. It's why a lot of fans are kind of upset with how much they've tried to explain about the world because it's gotten to the point where psychic powers and ghosts and things like that are kind of explained by <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. There are ghosts? Yes, <laughs> yes, ghosts. I'm so excited. That's in the next game. <gasps> there's a man in Metal Gear Solid 3, or that's the game after that. There's, there's a vampire in Metal Gear Solid 2. This game just keeps on giving. In Metal Gear Solid 3, there's a man who lives off of photosynthesis. No, okay, that's I in five, know. I thought. That's in three. There's, oh. And you get his camo, and then you can survive. That's not a vampire. Oh, that's a reverse vampire. That's right. <laughs> that is like textbook. That's like a person we should plant. Of a quiet. <laughs> we need more of him. And quiet in five has photosynthesis skin. No way. Yeah. And oh no, she, she breathes through her skin. Well, she that she yeah. breathes through her skin because she photosynthesized. Yeah, that's things. why she doesn't wear anything. Okay. And, and We're also- too far off. We're too far off. We can't do this. We set a rule for ourselves yes, to not yeah, fall into that this line, path. Chris, that you draw. I can't believe you're breaking. So it. in this oh, game, gosh. the real big plot point you should know is that. You know, they're worried about nukes. They're worried about the future of soldiers. And when you fight Gray Fox... We're back to two. Yeah, in Metal Gear 2, when you fight, like, the former top agent Gray Fox, he tells you, the reason why I am fighting with Big Boss now and, like, I'm a villain now is because when I was done being a soldier... Society rejected me. Like, I was John Rambo, basically, and so I had no, no Like a Vietnam al- al- Yeah, al- I mean, this was in, like, the 80s, so, yeah, there was a lot of people like that walking around, right? Or at least in the movies there were, like, <laughs> like from Kojima's perspective, he would have found out about this, essentially, from, like, movies American like Rambo. Yeah. But, I, like, that's definitely a thing that happened historically. Exactly. Like, that's not a thing we played up for the movies. It's a thing that, yes. like, veterans famously went through here. And yeah. I find it, it interesting. It should make it sound like it's only <laughs> in the movies. But it's often portrayed I, through these movies. Well, because I, I did find it interesting that that's something that Hideo Kojima living in Japan would pick up about American culture, especially because for a while, 
it wasn't even openly talked about within America. It wasn't right. at least not in like news. Yes. It was more a thing that like artists had to tell you, which yes. is funny. Like if a guy in Japan knows that this is a big problem in America and we're not talking about it, it's probably a pretty big problem. Yeah. So Gray Fox, uh, Gray Fox, who I think is biracial, uh, is explained to you that like when he came back, like people were like beating him up because they were racist and like, he didn't have a home. He felt like he was a man without a country and Big Boss gave him a purpose. And so when Big Boss said, well, fuck the United States, I'm going to start an army was like controlled. His dad. Yeah. Big Boss was like his dad. And so when Big Boss was like, I'm going to start a country for soldiers with alcohol and hookers. You know what? Forget the country. Gray Fox was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> Gray Fox was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm signing up with him. I'm loyal to this guy. He earned it. So, you know, you have to defeat Big uh, Gray Fox, your mentor, and then defeat Big your dad. Big Gray Fox. There's a lot of father killing in, in the Metal Gear series. Boy, yes. <laughs> I'm just, like, as soon as I said that, I remembered even more father killing I wasn't thinking of at the time that comes in the next It just game. keeps on coming. It just, anyways. So, again, you have killed Big Boss, maybe. Probably. Yes. Definitely. This time, I'm pretty sure you really have. Oh, no, you haven't. But at this <laughs> point, you are pretty sure you have killed Big Boss. And then we get to Metal Gear Solid, which is on the PlayStation. It's like 10 years later in the real world. comes out like 10 years later. It's in 3D. It has voice acting. It's like a huge, huge technological upgrade, right? That's kind of why it's called Metal Gear Solid is because it's a reference to the fact that like it's polygonal graphics now. Wait. Oh. What? Yeah. Is he not always called Solid Snake? Hmm. Yeah, he was. He's always in fact, Metal thought... Gear 2 is called Metal Gear 2 Colon Solid Snake. Oh, I just thought it was Metal Gear Solid because of Solid Snake. I like that no, it works only on an multiple idiot would levels. Think that, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? I thought you were smarter than that. <laughs> solid Snake. And the voice acting with like Colonel. What are you doing? So I don't. I think we've intro. I'm trying, I'm trying to make. I, I love. I love Snake's voice. Oh, you voice. like his voice? I feel like Geralt is like the successor to the Solid Snake. Oh yeah, there's they like, all. They both have the like, it's a little rough and edgy, but you kind of but soft enough that you want to know more about that guy. It's like an an intentional gravel, but not on the Christian Bale Batman level. Like a little bit smoother. <laughs> so like, I want to make a so graph. Christian like, Bale's <laughs> gravel is like, where's the Joker? And and, and Geralt's this is like, more, I'm Geralt. Yeah. No, Geralt's like, storm's coming. Oh my gosh. I'm not going to sit here and listen to you guys just Geralt at each other. <laughs> Geralt is a character from The Witcher, which is another <laughs> game we're going to cover soon. So, Metal Gear Solid. We, all, we don't really need to intro why this game is special at this point. We've talked a lot about it. Metal Gear Solid takes place in 2005, seven years into the future of when it came out. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And uh, God, you can do them. I trust your math. Solid Snake has retired to Alaska again. Again? Yeah. Well, he has retired again, this time to Alaska. Wait, did he retire between game one and two? Yeah, he yeah. did. He didn't Snake, very Snake always refuses the call. Yeah. Okay. I mean, <laughs> He's that's always retired. How you start any hero's it's journey. It's just like Rambo. Rambo came out of retirement, basically. We've all covered, I've never seen Rambo. You should at least watch First Blood. Okay. One day. That's like a classic piece of what I would call. Criterion collection. Americana. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. I'll get there. So Snake is uh, brought out of retirement forcefully by Roy Campbell, his former boss and former leader of Foxhound. And Roy Campbell says, Snake, your old special forces group, Foxhound, they just went rogue. And also they're like super powered. So that makes it especially bad. So 
You're like, what? Okay. <laughs> but this, you didn't get those powers. <laughs> <laughs> this rogue group is separate from the country of rogue soldiers that Big Boss right. had in two. So, exactly. Okay. Those were like little pocket nations being created in one and two. Got it. So they have subsequently gone rogue. Yes. Yeah, so this time, Foxhound, the organization, takes over a military base in uh, Shadow Moses Island. In Alaska? Which I think is off the coast of Alaska. That's convenient. Yeah, very convenient. And I don't, why, why is it Alaska? <laughs> I don't know. It's a beautiful um, place that I'd like to spend some part of my retirement at, obviously. <laughs> so if, what I love about this game, by the way, is that it commits really hard to the idea that like you're an agent with a mission. So you can watch the mission briefing on the main menu. Like if you start the game, you don't get the briefing. Like the game is smart enough to like, tell you what's going on as you play. Right. But there's like a whole like 20 minute long video you can watch of Snake sitting in like a cell while his boss tells him what his mission is going to be. And they have like a dossier of like the villains, basically. I love that because one of the villains does not appear in the game. Well, I mean, he does. He does. You don't know it's him. Oh. And the game basically doesn't tell you. You would only know, like, you'd only be worrying about this guy if you had, like, listened to the briefing and, like, looked at the dossier, and you'd be like, wait a minute, one, two. I got Vulcan Raven, I'm Psycho Mantis, someone. <laughs> Liquid Snake. Oh, no. Wait, who's yeah. that, like, the one guy I'm missing is Decoy, Decoy Octopus? Decoy Octopus, Master of Disguise. No. <laughs> That's, like, a cool, like, trick that it pulls on you. Yeah, the game does so many cool things like that, though. Uh, yeah. And I so, like the name Decoy Octopus. It is a good name, especially because like an octopus kind of gives you the the image of like a manipulator, like because it's got so many like. I was legs. just thinking of octopusy and James Bond. I'm like, yeah, that's a spy animal. Yeah. Uh, so if you watch this briefing, the mission that you will be told you're going on is to infiltrate Shadow Moses Island and rescue the two hostages because they have the launch codes for a nuclear weapon that Foxhound is threatening to like launch on several targets in the world if they don't get the remains of Big Boss. Who is and dead. we don't know why. So, He's dead. So, so just so I understand, Foxhound, the terrorist organization, mm -hmm. is asking for the remains of the guy you killed in the previous game, Big exactly. Boss. Exactly. And if you don't give it to him, they're, they're going to nuke him. the world. Yes. And the two hostages were kind of people who worked together on this advanced nuclear weapon, so only they have the codes to launch it. And so... Okay, my low-key question here is, if I'm, you know, the president or wh whomever, and I'm in charge of this... I would probably just send the remains of Big Boss. <laughs> I, like, They're like, this is the extreme of we do not negotiate with terrorists. Yes, I would be like, all right, here's his ashes. We want one million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 not one million. One hundred billion dollars. You yeah. can't see the pinky to my, my lip, but yeah, I'm doing a Dr. Like Evil. If my options are like send some dude's ashes or watch someone nuke the world, I would be like, yeah, here you you go. Yeah. Especially if I'm convinced they don't have the codes to launch yet. If I could just be like, all right, I'm just going to get them out of there before they even have the means to launch. So I guess vote for me, 2020. <laughs> That's my platform. <laughs> I will negotiate with terrorists. I think... Bad platform. <laughs> it sounds bad when you say it. Um, I think the reason why they want the remains of Big Boss is because his he's like the greatest soldier to ever live. So his genetic information is so valuable to Foxhound, who are experimenting with like genetic manipulation. Right. So what we're saying here is 
Hideo Kojima does not understand <laughs> science too well. Well, I don't want to go too far on beating up Kojima yet on that. I don't know. I feel like it's it's magical realism. Science gets to work this way. In, in a world where clones can exist, why not want his DNA, I guess? From his ashes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how, how that works, <laughs> but whatever. But uh, there is a reason why the U.S. government is not inclined to give up those ashes, presumably because they do think that giving them to Foxhound will make Foxhound very powerful. I'm fine with that. More powerful than having a nuke? Yeah, boy, that's just how good this guy was. (laughs) That's impressive. So, um, and like for reference, Shadow Moses is officially a nuclear disposal facility. And one of the reasons why you're on a secret mission is because no one's supposed to know that this actually is a nuclear weapons research facility. I mean, that checks out. That, mm-hmm. that seems like how... Like this is like a black ops mission that yeah. you're on. So they want Snake to go in and rescue these hostages and not worry about the nukes at all, because hopefully he'll get them before they have the ability to launch a nuke at all. Right. right? And uh, to help Snake out, they introduce the support staff, which is a major element of Metal Gear Solid, the series, and Metal Gear as a franchise in general, because basically whenever you're playing the game, you can push the select button to bring up a radio, and then you have like a little address book of people you can call to like give you tips on the game. And this is the famous- your own number. This is this is the famous like green outline screen that I think you've seen. If you've seen anything about Metal Gear Solid, you've probably seen screen caps of what these phone conversations look like. I have to ask, by the way, was this like weird to you guys? Because I feel like this is something that I grew up taking for granted that this would be a major feature in a game. Like, you know, you're in a gunfight. I think I'll just pause the game and have like a conversation about like you know, breeds of dogs or something with my support I'm going to call Master Miller and we're going to talk about, I don't know, being shirtless and the wilderness. Yeah, wilderness survival. I think that my point of reference for a game growing up uh, in the Nancy Drew games, which I Uh love dearly and will always talk about if there's an option, you could stop and find a phone and call one of like your friends like Bess or George or Ned. And would that be like a hint system? It could be, or it could be just a fun thing. And then it was also, so it was a, it could be just a side story thing just to check in on how your boyfriend's doing, like, or I want to see how Bess's date was. Like, yeah. and hey, hey George, um, what are you up to? Me? Oh, well, uh, some guy got murdered with an ax and I'm looking at his <laughs> corpse, but I just really wanted to check in and see like, are you, how like, good are you busy at, tomorrow? How good are you at chess puzzles? <laughs> that, yes. A little more of that, a little less of that. First of all, Nancy Drew does not go around solving murders. I don't. I don't know. Uh, she solves fake. She's kind of Scooby-Doo level. I, like fake ghosts, disappearances, okay. stuff like that. <laughs> I, Get yourself educated I, on our lady, Nancy Drew. Let me just throw this out there. I swear I saw somebody play a Nancy Drew game where something killed her. Oh, well, Nancy can what? die. Okay, yeah. so Nancy can die to the murder. <laughs> but, like, but, that's true. but like as a fail state of the game. Yes, yes. but oh. that's yeah. still... Anyway, so you could use the phone for like those kind of... look. It could also be for hints okay. sometimes. And it was an integral part of the game where like you would know, okay, I read this book and it's on a topic. Like I need to solve this puzzle about medieval tapestries. Oh, I found this book in the library and I turned to the back and here's the author and there's their phone number and you'd have to take that to the phone and call them. So I think conceptually the phone being a part of progressing the game and helping you progress the game was something that I had been exposed to in a lot of my experience. But 
there's definitely something to be said for adding it to the middle of a gunfight. Yeah. And pausing that pacing. For and that. also like, I think it kind of serves a dual purpose. So it's a hint system, but it's also a way for the game to have a lot of characters who you will never meet, who can never like interact with you in the physical world in the game but you still feel like you're building a bond with them. Yes. I like Mei Ling a lot. Mei Ling. So what is, what is Mei Ling's role? Because I feel like before we get into the plot, some of these characters are going to come up. We should briefly introduce like how they help you out because some of them are kind of funny. This is the case debriefing for the listeners. <laughs> Mei Ling. She is your save, spo- save point. So you call her and she saves your game and gives you some sage advice. And they're all like Chinese idioms, right? Chung-yu. Allegedly, yes. Chungyus. But yeah. we can't tell because we played in English. So That's I don't true. know if they're real Chungyus. <laughs> I, I tried or not. to like, you know, reverse engineer the the idiom. And uh-huh. a lot of the time they're they're an idiom. Oh, she also made the Solitan radar that you depend on in the game. And she's one of many female characters that are there to like fawn over Solid Snake and you fluster them by flirting with them. Yeah, there are a lot of thirsty ladies in this <laughs> game. <laughs> they're very Bond-esque because not only are all of them very thirsty, they are all, they all have the thickest accents even when it does not make any sense in the world of the game. The only, there's like one girl of every flavor, I would say. Yeah. Or snake. Whatever snake's in the mood for, he can have his, was it she British or Australian? The one. Something. Naomi? Yeah. Yeah, she's British. I'm okay, okay. <laughs> Is she Australian or British? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so she's. we've got the British girl, Chinese girl. The British one, by the way, I think her whole thing is she explains the science of, like, the nuclear weapons or something to you. But really, she's like a plot character. She comes up for reasons other than helping you in the game. Yes. And then... The other girl is the main girl that you meet. Meryl. 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 She's American. Yeah. But she's not on your support staff. She's right. a character you will meet in the game. I'm just going through Snake's harem. N- uh, Nastasha <laughs> Romanenko, my Oh, favorite. yeah, the Russian. The She's like a Russian femme fatale, kind of. That's my who, favorite, too. She. This is one of the funniest ones, because this is where like the game gets into really heavy flavor of things that don't actually matter, because Nastasha is the weapons expert. She will tell you unbelievable amounts of detail about every weapon you pick up. In fact, most items you pick up, almost none of the details she gives you is applicable to the game. <laughs> She'll tell you, like, why does a SOCOM hold 15 bullets and not 16 or whatever? Like, so like Because there wasn't enough space for a 16th. Potentially <laughs> feel real. Yeah, I was going to say potentially real world facts. I yeah. wouldn't know if it's actually a fact or not. She's almost like your, what's the guy from James you? Bond? Q? Yeah. She's almost like Q, but she explains things to you as you find them. Okay. She's like not actually making any of these items. She's just saying, oh, I see you found this item. It would have been really cool if you had had this from the beginning, but here's all this information (laughs) about it now. I'm looking at my notes. I don't even remember this from the game, but I made a note that she tells you the difference between hemp and nylon rope. Wow. Yeah, I remember that. It does not come up in the game. I love that. She'll tell you. Then there, of course, there's Master Miller, who is supposedly Solid Snake's former drill instructor, and supposedly um, what do you mean yeah we'll get to that <laughs> who he really is he gives snake quote-unquote survival tips this is sunglasses guy yeah right? Not he's really. the australian guy oh okay and he says quote-unquote call me if you have any questions about the flora or fauna out here <laughs> like almost signaling to the reader or to the player like 
You know, you don't really need to call me. I love that in the middle of a, an Alaska mission, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, you, flora and fauna. I'm like, it's snow, sir. It's just snow. <laughs> it's a desolate, yeah. snowy waste. There's wolves. That's neither flora nor I fauna. thought the wolves no, are I guess it's fauna. fauna. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's one I, payoff. I, I would, I would kind of hypothesize that Miller is there at the beginning of the game and Nastasha and some of these other people are kind of like hype men for the game. Like, I agree. There are a lot of features that get introduced midway through the game, and you don't know what you're going to be doing from one moment to the next. So by having someone tell you, like, I'll tell you about weapons and their details, or I'll tell you about, like, animals, it's kind of making the player feel like anything could happen. Like, I'm ready for any situation. Who knows what's going to be on this mission? And it kind of makes everything a little bit more of a surprise, I think. It helps the stakes feel more important, too, because Mm -hmm. I'm not really invested in going in and saving people I don't know. But it's cool to know these characters that are talking to me and kind of going back and forth with me want me to come out of it alive. Yeah, and I like like it how it makes you feel like it's... You're part of a team. You're part of a team. And that there's a lot more effort into you being there than just you going there. And I and I kind of feel like it tells you, like, these are all problems you might encounter. So be ready for them, you know. Yeah. And uh, I just wrote down just a couple tips from Master Miller, because some of them are stuff you might find in a strategy guide, which is interesting. Love it. This is Australian sunglasses guy. Yeah. Put a shrimp on the bobby. He says uh, human reaction speed is slowest around three in the morning. So make sure to not. uh, Oh, also, don't play the game immediately after eating. Make sure you get some sleep while you're playing the game. Or stop to get sleep. I would not sleep while playing a game. And um, <laughs> he often tells you things like kite enemies to, to defeat them one by one, things like that. So he does give you some useful advice. And a pretty clear signal that the game is willing to play around with the fourth wall, perhaps. Yes. Actually, this might be one of the first times that that happens in this game. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot the most important one. Campbell. Roy Campbell. Yes. He is like the director of your mission. He is the one who's basically telling you where to find the plot at any given point. And the uncle of Meryl. Uncle of Meryl, who we will learn about in just a second. So we're going to finally start now, uh, almost an hour (laughs) in, to talk about the plot of Metal Gear Solid. Metal Gear Solid needs a lot of support. You got to have a good foundation on this house. Or else this is going to call crumb crashing down. So listeners, I promise you the things that we're going to tell you are the most important story beats that you need to know to understand what the story is about. And to build on for future stories. Right. Which means we are still going to cut some of this out. Some of these things, they're like a closed loop. (laughs) Which, you know, (laughs) inside of the story are, are, you know, interesting, but... Like, they're a closed loop in more ways than one. Oh, that's such a... Yes. <laughs> so, um, this, so to get to Shadow Moses, you get on a little personal submarine? Well, no, you get, you're get you in a submarine, and they fire you they out fire of you a, out, a, oh a God, personal missile. style, I just realized. And then it breaks apart, and you scuba yeah. dive your way in. And, and you you're, like, naked, out. almost. Like, you've Which, just got, like, your... And you've carried all your important things, like your pack of cigarettes, and... <laughs> oh, yeah, so all you have... Are your clothes and the nanomachines in your body, which activate your soliton radar, which is how you see where the enemies are. You have no gun, no like weapons. I like that the game felt a need to explain its own like HUD. It's like this is why this exists on your screen. This game, which is so comfortable with playing with the fourth wall and knowing you'll accept things about it being a game, is like, but this 
this we have to explain. They're like, all right, so uh, I understand that a lot of your suspension of disbelief levels are pretty low. So here's <laughs> this. But I'm, I, once we got that off the table, everything else shouldn't be a problem for you, right, guys? <laughs> There's guys? a really fluid buy-in <laughs> guys? on this game. So the first part of this game is spent on the outside of the facility trying to break in. And this is where you're introduced to enemies who are, for their time, I guess for the time this game was released, would be considered very intelligent. Like, they tell you that these are bioengineered super soldiers, because remember, Foxhound is experimenting with, like, genetic manipulation. And the joke kind of is that these are the smartest soldiers ever, but, like, they see a box and they say, it's just a box, and they walk away from it. Because they're, like, a week old, probably. (laughs) That's one theory. The other theory I kind of have is that this is how the game expresses to you that you have to pay attention to things that you don't have to pay attention to in other games. So in no other game would you run on the snow and then an enemy sees your footsteps in the snow and then they follow your prints to where you're hiding. For a video game, that is super smart, right? Mm-hmm. Or like yeah. being able to draw enemies away by making noise, things like that. So I think that this is where the game is trying to show you what are the limits of the simulation happening here in this game? What are um, what can you expect to worry about from basic enemies for the rest of the game? And this is kind of like it's introducing everything to you at once. There's walkways where you make noise. If you step on like the metal grate, you can leave your footprints. There's searchlights that are showing you like a very obvious visual representation of like a line of sight there's places you can go in and hide if, like, an enemy's looking for you. And many of these things have become a quintessential part of video games. Yeah. It's pretty much any action game across different genres, I would say. Yeah, yeah. pretty much all the Assassin's Creed require <laughs> yes. this the as, vision like, cone. the vision cone as a as yeah. a foundation for that. Also and maybe Madden, Madden 2005, they gave the quarterbacks a vision cone as well. Really? Yes. <laughs> That's um, <true. laughs> and this is where you find your first gun, which is totally optional. You may never find that gun here because it's in a truck. Beat the game without a gun. I don't know if you can beat the game without any gun, but this gun I don't think is required to get into the facility. Okay. And it's like your first big example of like you need to forage for supplies because you might end up like later in the game not really knowing how to defeat these enemies other than like punching them. I think I hit that point. <laughs> we had to backtrack. <laughs> <laughs> so Snake makes it into the facility and um, he makes it to the first hostage who is the DARPA chief. And the DARPA chief, by the way, like as a kid, I thought DARPA chief was like a made up thing. <laughs> I didn't know that there was an <laughs> organization called DARPA for what a long time. What does it stand time. for? Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Oh, okay. Cool. I like it. Yeah. So, so the DARPA chief is kind of giving, filling you in on like what was really happening at Fox or not Fox Sound at this like weapons research facility, and it was actually host to a new type of nuclear weapon called Metal Gear. Well, it's not a new type of <laughs> new, what is it? The Just new like new the Death first Star. Metal Gear. It's like a railgun with a nuke on the end. Exactly. the The newest version of Metal Gear has a special kind of nuclear missile, not missile. It's not a missile. It's just like a bullet, a nuclear bullet. It shoots out of a railgun, which is important because since it's not self-propelled, it cannot, well, at it least in 1998, it, it cannot wouldn't show be, up on radars. Exactly. Star Wars would do nothing against no. this bullet. Yeah. Okay. So who keeps making these Metal Gears? <laughs> like America. That's the thing. So they made it in one America and two? was making 
this Metal Gear in this game. So but what about Metal Gear 1 and 2? Are those both American I don't, made? I don't think so. Okay. Is this like an ode to stopping nuclear armament? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like it, well, this, yes, this yeah, if you game, peel back the layers, this game has something small fact, to say. <laughs> I would say it's the outside layer of this onion. I, I think in, in 2020, this seems obvious, but I think it was supposed to be shocking when this game came out that, like, at least for the target audience, that you're like, oh, the all the mega weapon that I had to go in, like, the U.S. sent me to destroy in one and two, they've just been making their own version and they just don't want anyone else to have one. I see, yeah. You know, like, and that's Sitting here in 2020, be, I'm like, everyone's like, just yeah, making these normal. metal gears. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. A little jaded. <laughs> so Snake is surprised that the U.S. is... is doing that to you. <laughs> <laughs> so... Snake is surprised that the U.S. is making its own Metal Gear. And not only that, it's making essentially a Metal Gear that can start a nuclear war, possibly without retaliation. So how is that a war then? Wouldn't it just be like a nuclear assassin? No, I assume other countries would step in. Chaos would ensue. Oh, so it's like without like the mad aspect, the mutually assured destruction. Yes, exactly. Like Metal Gear is so dangerous because first of all you can you don't have to launch it from the u.s you could just send metal gear somewhere and then remotely shoot a nuke at another country and then they're left trying to figure out like who nuked us that's an important question probably the moon (laughs) could could be aliens it's uh it looks like it's this walking metal dinosaur (laughs) (laughs) what if now hear me out it were a ghost. <laughs> I think that could happen in this game. Wait, wait, let us hear him out. <laughs> so the Darpa chief tells Snake this and that the terrorists need the hostages' passwords to launch a nuke. And they got the Darpa chief's password, but they are still trying to get the password from the other hostage, which is the president of ArmsTech, another corporation that was working with Darpa, which is a government organization, in order to create this new Metal Gear. And he tells Snake he needs both of these codes to stop it. Is that correct? He tells Snake that the terrorists need these two codes to launch the nuke, but the other guy additionally has the code to stop the nuke launch. Got it. And then he points Snake to go find that person. And then? And um, this guy then has a heart attack and dies for no reason that the audience can see or that Snake can see. He's very surprised. This is where the codec kind of comes in. Snake then calls Campbell and is like, what the fuck? He just died. <laughs> he done died. I promise I didn't do anything. I swear I didn't kill him. And everybody's pretty chill about it, too. They're like, no worries. Go on, Snake. And you're like, wow, this guy's life was worth nothing to my team. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he dies. And for the listeners, you should probably know, because I don't know when the best opportunity to bring this up is going to be, that this is a decoy. This guy you would call him is, maybe an octopus even. This guy is decoy octopus, a member of Foxhound, trying to trick Snake, and we will get into why he's trying to trick Snake later. But I don't think dying is part of his plan. But No, uh, no, no, I don't think it was either. Yeah, I think that's another thing that we will reveal. Does he actually die of a heart attack? He does. This, oh, because he, of the... They even the reference die. it because after. Because of the MacGuffin. Yeah. Got it. So Snake has to go find the second hostage. On the way, he runs into a... Bootylicious. Yeah. A Wait, booty- isn't this where he fights Ocelot? No, no, no. No, it's no. the next, the one after that. Uh, right after okay. he finds a DARPA chief. The he, next DARPA chief. He yeah. runs into a bootylicious, red-haired woman. Yeah, he runs into a guard, a person dressed as like a normal guard, but it's a woman, and uh, she has like rookie eyes and and by rookie eyes i mean snake out of the cell snake turns around and sees a naked man with his butt pushed it's like it's like this weird yeah 
thing that she like beat up a guard and took his clothes and it introduces a character named Johnny Sasaki who's a whole like there's a whole line of this guy he's in every Metal Gear Solid game like someone from his family is there they always have diarrhea it's like an actual story beat related to solving the problems in the game that this guy has diarrhea poor guy I think he gets a happy ending though or one of them does IBS is a serious condition (laughs) and um so he meets Meryl. We don't really know much about her at this point. Johnny Sasaki meets Meryl? Uh, Solid Snake meets Meryl. Johnny Sasaki does, unfortunately, meet Meryl. Unfortunately for him. Yeah. So we don't really know what Meryl's place in this game is going to be yet. We just know uh, that. I do. She's another woman for Snake <laughs> <Harem>. <laughs> Uh We just know, I think, that Roy Campbell is telling you his niece is somewhere there or something like that, and she's in disguise We'll learn more about her in a little bit. So Snake has to find the arms tech president. When he gets there, he finds Revolver Ocelot, one of the members of Foxhound. And he is not an ocelot in real life. He's not. None of them are actually the animal. (laughs) Except maybe sometimes decoy octopus. I'm sure sometimes he's an octopus. I have like all sorts of ideas for Zootopia (laughs) 2 at this point. Ooh. Guys, I just put together, too, that, like, you know, snakes are, like, Slithery. stealthy. And they, slither, and they slither on their tummy. Yeah. Just like snake. Snake. Yeah, I don't know why it took me 22 years well, to figure that out. You know, you're a crab. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm used to walking sideways and while holding my hands up, like, oh, no. These are things So, Revolver, like, every member of Foxhound, of course, has, like, a funny gimmick. And Revolver Ocelots is that he loves his cult single-action army revolver, the greatest handgun ever made. Which, arguably, not much to me because I don't know gun words, but he's like a Wild West shooter yeah. guy. He even has With like a trench a, coat. Yeah, he has a trench coat, like a he's cowboy He's got a little mustache situation going I on. I thought it was more of a mullet with a, like, a, you know, kind he, of uh, like a... Actually, yeah. a lot of characters have mullets in this game. What's his name? <laughs> what, like, like the Tombstone, or was it with, like, Doc Holliday? And no, yeah, it was yeah, Tombstone. Yeah, yeah. With the big... And I think Pizza Hut had a special Tombstone pizza when it was came Was that out. why yeah. it was called the Tombstone pizza at Pizza Hut? That or talking about how a pizza will kill you one day. One of the two. It's a good way to go. <laughs> Not if it was, like, pizza. burning you alive. Why is that how you think pizza what? will like, kill you? The sauce, you fall into the sauce of a giant pizza and it's too That's hot. That's where you went with that? Uh, so I was like, how could pizza possibly kill me? I guess if I fell into a pizza factory. <laughs> giant, I, I want to go to the place where there's like like Joker in the Batman. That's what I was just about to reference. Like that and you come sauce. out as pizza face. <laughs> <laughs> That's my dream villain. If I were a villain... So anyway, you're in a room with the arms tech president tied up in the middle, bombs all around him. Ocelot is there and he's challenging you to a gunfight. Pew, 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 Western and style. Yeah. I don't know how to describe this fight. This is like the first boss fight in the game and it's so bizarre. You run around in a circle because the middle is all the bombs. So you're in a square room and the middle of this square has a bunch of tripwires around explosives. And Almost you, like a pillar in the middle. Yeah. And that's where the president is president. Yeah. is the entangled is entangled in these tripwires. Yes. And he will blow up if you try to go help him. And Ocelot chases you in a circle around the room and sh- like ricochets his bullets off of the walls to hit you 
and the gimmick of the fight is you can't shoot through the center of the room to hit him. Wait. So you have to, like, chase him around and shoot him. I thought that he was just so good with the gun he could shoot through the tripwires, but you're so clunky with the gun that you shoot tripwires. I thought he was, like, wanted where he can curve his bullets. I don't know if he's curved. He's definitely ricocheting them at some point. I don't know if he has to ricochet them. Does he have a... Is he all human? Yes. Well, I mean, he's... Okay. Yeah. For now. For some reason, I thought he had like a robot hand or something. That's later. Later. Okay. Okay. So he's all human. It's... uh... So this fight ends because in the middle of it, a ninja appears. A robot ninja. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to say it. Uh, So listeners who hadn't played the games and had their bets on robot ninja as the resolution to this fight. I mean, again, this is like... This is that Haruki Murakami feel, like this postmodern literature where it feels like anything can happen, like non sequiturs can come into the story and be met metaphors for something that is supposed to make sense. That's, I think that's, that's the, the guy. Entire story. That's the guy who wrote uh, IQ 84. Yeah. IQ okay. 84, Norwegian Woods. Oh, I have like that, that on my bookshelf. That guy's books are really interesting. And if you read, I assume any one of them, you will be like, Kojima fucking loves this guy. Doesn't he explicitly <laughs> love that guy? Yeah, he's, he's I think listed I've... him as a reference, as, not a reference, but a... Uh... Call <laughs> this guy if you want to know if my game's good. <laughs> no, I meant an inspiration, not a reference. Yeah, okay. he's. I've seen interviews where he directly name checks the author of IQ84. Okay. Who I don't so, know that guy's name. I only know him as Haruki the author Murakami. of IQ84. Yeah, we said the same thing at the same time there. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Haruki Murakami, if the listener is interested in pursuing that. So anyway, back to the plot. A robot ninja <laughs> jumps out and cuts off uh, Revolver Ocelot's gun hand. Shooting hand. Yeah, oh, oh hand. this is why I thought he, he had an issue with his hand. <laughs> <laughs> he loses his hand. He's like, what? What's going on? Better runs away. You're to lose your hand than your head. Yes. And so the robot, I think, cuts the president free and then leaves. And he tells Snake's like, who are you? And the, the robot says that classic line, I'm like you. I have no name. And then he's like, I have multiple names. Oh, then he like gets real like upset and starts banging his head on the floor because something's going wrong with his nervous system. Oh, the robot ninja. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something short. It's going a little weird. Yeah. And then he runs away. He like flips away. Also, he can be invisible sometimes. Yes. Yes. So snakes like. Just normal things. Just Metal Gear Solid things. what, What just happened? Let me focus on the ninja first. I mean, on the mission first. So he goes to the hostage. Yeah. The arms tech president tells Snake that. There's a person in the facility who has like a disc with the his codes on it and which can stop the nuclear launch. And he also tells Snake about uh, nuclear war. He like tells Snake, like, I don't know if you knew this, but nuclear war is like a great threat to this world right now. <laughs> <laughs> and is this in a world where the Cold War has persisted? Past um, you know I think the, I think this game assumes history is the same until the nineties. So 1989 happens, you know, Berlin Wall's down, so, Cold yes. War is pretty much at an end. Actually, in Metal Gear Solid 2, jumping ahead for a second, they explicitly reference Russia rebuilding itself after the fall of the USSR. Okay. Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Yeah. So the pre- the arms tech president then also has a heart attack after telling Snake about a little bit more exposition about Naturally, Metal Gear. Just as one does. <laughs> And he seems to know why he's having a heart attack. And he doesn't get a chance to tell Snake why it's happening. I'm so excited to find out. So Snake, of course, goes to Campbell and he's like, Campbell, what the heck's going on? And Campbell's being very tight-lipped about it. Snake's like, should I be worried? Because heart attacks are starting to seem contagious. So Campbell tells Snake, you need to go and contact my niece, Meryl. She's the one with the disc. 
And this is a part where the game's like, how does Campbell to- know this? That's a good question. I think-, I think I think the arms tech president tells you about Merrill, and then oh. Snake goes to talk to Campbell, and he's like, he says I need to contact this person named Merrill Silverberg or something. And Campbell's like, oh, by the way, that's my niece, so be careful. And Don't if you want to contact it. her, um, look on the back of the CD case. This <laughs> is what he says. Like, the game is breaking the fourth wall and telling you, you know, you have to solve this puzzle by, you know, interacting with the game as a physical thing. So, this is so where like, we run into the in, blockbuster in, problem. In, in my mind, I don't understand this at all from, like, the Cam, uh, Colonel Campbell, whatever his name is. Campbell's, Campbell's perspective. Because he essentially stitched his niece's phone number into your suit and mm-hmm. was like, yeah, you know. She might be there. She might not be there. But I, uh, I, I left her phone number in your pocket. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, so maybe he does want to set them up. That is a good question. I don't know. That's the ultimate move. If I'm ever like a parent or just a cool aunt one day, I'm just going to stitch my kid's <laughs> number into attractive people's suits. I'm going to be like, he seems like a good match for you. I'm going to put your number in his pocket. So I misspoke, by the way, earlier. Meryl mm. is a member of Foxhound, but she refu- she's like an inside member, and she refused to take part in the takeover of the nuclear facility. So Foxhound imprisoned her, and then she broke out. And that's why you saw why naked there. Johnny Sasaki at the beginning, and then she's wearing his uniform. So you have to make contact with her. She's like, come to the building where they store all the nukes. And then Snake tries to get there, but then <laughs> there's like... A wall of, like, laser sensors that will blow you up if you walk into them. So Snake's like, huh, well, good thing I brought my cigarettes. Everybody's like, where'd you keep Which those? Not, they have been in your inventory this whole time. They've been in your inventory. They never explain how Snake, who has no other items, has cigarettes. And Snake says, well, before the mission, you gave me a shot that suppressed my stomach acids. So I just hid them in my <laughs> stomach. And then I guess he throws them up and then smokes these cigarettes. Oh my god, that makes this. more sense. I thought he like kind of did a suppository type of thing and hit him in his butt. <laughs> I love this because this game feels the need to to explain problems it chose to create. Yeah, yeah. Like they could have just had him like come in in his suit well, here's, and I'm like just, a little you know, backpack. I'm just, I'm just loving. Yeah, just build on that. It's, he could have had a backpack. Well, no, he's. They're like. Oh, so, you know, uh, Revolver Ocelot has lost his arm. Robot Ninja came out of nowhere. But I bet you're wondering how he has cigarettes. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you. Can I say this reminds me a lot of Terminator, another big inspiration on Metal Gear Solid uh, or Metal Gear. Um, Why do they explain to, things? To, to the point where the first Metal Gear, the cover is actually kind of a traceover of the of art from Metal Love Gear. It. And Solid Snake is supposed to look like Michael Bean from Metal Gear 1. Anyway, I bring this up because in Terminator, which now I remember neither of you have seen, oh, I've so seen I it. put you on black. Okay, I've first of all, I have seen the one with Christian Bale, which I've been told no. is the best one, objectively. No, the best one's with... <laughs> Christian Bale? I didn't know you met him. Mick <laughs> G? <laughs> No, it's the one with Amelia Clark. That's the best Terminator. I heard the newest one is actually good. I haven't seen but it. But I haven't seen it. Again, I've only seen the one. Well, all you need to know is that the whole premise of the original Terminator, or premise, like one of the, re- like the gimmick of it is that it's about two time travelers, one human, one robot, who come back in time right, to one find- human and one Schwarzenegger. Yeah, who's a robot. He's a robot. I know. He's a Terminator. But I think Arnold he's- Schwarzenegger. Oh, you think that's he's more gone important beyond detail. being a robot. So- uh, the reason why Terminator 1 is unique is because the time travelers cannot bring weapons back with them. 
and anything I've beyond seen, human skin. I've seen the scene. Yeah. The naked Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah. coming and, up from but his knee. That's also why Michael Bean, who's from like a soldier from the future, cannot bring his laser guns and stuff with him. Okay. So he has to like find items like in this so world. So you think that Metal Gear Solid chose to do the naked thing because they're like, yeah, Terminator did it. Nothing. Well, they don't do a naked thing, but that's essentially in Solid. like if, that's if Snake too. is... Melgar oh, Two does do that too. He gets sent naked to the island here. I thought we were talking no. about earlier. He's, he's got his suit on. He just can't bring weapons for some reason. Oh, that's even weirder. I don't know why. Um, I think it's because they don't want anything belonging to the U.S. government found there or something like that. He could just have had cigarettes in his Who pocket. Knows? I don't know. Again, I'm not sure. Okay. It's not a big deal. This is the, this is the <laughs> hill I die on. But well, it clearly is a big deal because they're like, well, you can't bring anything with you, but you can bring something inside of you weird and that's why he's got the cigarettes in him so he uses these cigarettes naturally then to yeah. puff puff see so, some s- invisible beans speaking of that's introducing problems yourself <laughs> and then f- trying to figure out how to solve them these are smokeless cigarettes that's and there's I, like you, a I lost you there. I didn't hear he, any word you just he said. He brought smokeless cigarettes with him. And what? so there's a little <laughs> bit, bit of dialogue where they're like, well, even if they're smokeless, if you puff the smoke at them from in your mouth, you should be able to expose the lasers. Hey, thanks. I don't, I, you know what? This is so silly. I, I must have forgotten this. Yeah. So that's why when Snake is smoking the cigarettes in the normal game, there's not just like tons of smoke coming out of him that makes you like easily detectable. They're smokeless. Okay. Snake has to try to create smoke from them when he blows smoke. All right. So at the, uh, I the lasers. think this is like one of those things where, oh, there's a scandal going on and I'm going to detract from that scandal with a lesser scandal that's not as bad. <laughs> and that, and the scandals replace scandals here with, Story beats. Yeah. <laughs> because what? Yeah, it is, is an like odd detail. The weirdest magic show where it's like, don't look at the trick. Look at this other thing happening over there. So long story short, Snake gets through that. He then gets through a minefield with the help of a mystery codec caller named Deep Throat, <laughs> who tells him how to avoid mines. And he fights one of the members of Foxhound. Giant man with a tank. Doesn't really matter. Gets to the nuke building. Wait, what was that one called? Vulcan Raven. Vulcan Raven. I like that guy. Who's kind of like a... Native American yeah. shaman Inuit? almost. I think he's Inuit. Probably. I gotta say, gameplay-wise, not one of my favorite fights. But story beat-wise, Vulcan Raven was weird as all get out. Very strange. And fight. I loved that. And I think you kill him by throwing grenades into his cockpit, which mm-hmm. seems like he should be dead. But From just one? Yeah, I mm-hmm. think so too. So uh, at the nuke building, and I feel like we have to bring up this story beat because this is another place where it kind of breaks the fourth wall and also kind of reveals some unsettling implications about nanomachines. So when you get to the nuclear weapons building, Naomi Hunter tells you, she remember she's like the uh, tech specialist. Right. Uh, by the way, there's nukes stored here, so don't shoot guns, you idiot. <laughs> like that would be a bad thing to do. And Sink's like, okay. And she says, just to be safe, I'm going to disable your body's ability to shoot guns. <laughs> Whoa. Your trigger Remotely. finger no longer works. Whoa. Yeah. Um, How does that even work? She remote controls Snake's muscles somehow. It's very hard to tell what... I mean, obviously, the whole point of this section is to create a new challenge where you can't use your guns to solve your problems. This it's just is an so interesting story way to, to quintessential Metal Gear Solid, where it's trying to do something cool and interesting, and I'm like, I'm on board. Like you can take me on this journey, 
but it feels the need to explain it in so many weird ways that all of a sudden yeah. I get bad vibes it, it about that journey. A logic, an in-world logic to it that has very troubling implications about the rest of the game. It's like if someone's like, "Oh, do you want to come out like over and hang out and watch a movie?" And you're like, "Yeah, sure." And they're like, "I promise it'll be totally normal. Like I don't have anything weird happening tonight." And you're like, "Oh, I mean, okay." There's no bears. And then they, yeah, right? it's not like there's bears, right? <laughs> that would be crazy. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're like. Do I want to go there? That's Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> so, and this is also one of the first, one of the parts where Snake's lack of agency is kind of a plot point too, where this is something that's going to come up over and over in this game is the idea that Snake is, you know, the, the series talks about soldiers being tools of the government and Snake constantly feels like a tool of the government. And this is one of those places where someone from the government literally tells him, I'm going to control your body so you don't mess this mission up. Which raises a lot of questions about why they don't use drones or something. But no, Snake is just a drone to borrow, controlled by the government, and you are the guy. You are the guy sitting in a room looking at a screen, controlling him as his body goes. Yeah. Oh, no, what am I doing? Yeah. It, I mean, it kind of is implied to be something like that. Like they're in. They're on their way to that tech. Snake is an intermediary on the way there. And to borrow a line that Mei Ling uses when she explains the radar to you, you know, it's made with currently existing technology. (laughs) 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 That's like a thing that Metal Gear Solid uses to explain why things work the way they do. I, I, everything's made with currently existing (laughs) technology. Yes. So... We're looking for Meryl. We're in the nuke center. We're in the nuke building. Can't shoot. You get to the part where you're supposed to make contact with uh, one of the other people that they told you to find, which is uh, Hal Emmerich, a scientist who worked on Metal Gear. Hal Otacon Emmerich. Yeah. And um, on the way there, you run into Cyborg Ninja again, who's just slaughtering guards left and right. You have a fist fight. Oh, this, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I was back in Zanzibar with you, yes. and I'm going to fight you, but let's do it with our fists like real men. Yes. I'm a man, though, not a robot, but I am a robot. And <laughs> this is the part where Cyborg Ninja reveals to you he's Gray Fox, you know, your brother's in arms, and he doesn't explain why he's a robot now, but he wants to have one last fight with you. And I think he kind of powers himself down so that you can fist fight him. Gray Fox being the guy you saved in Zanzibar. Yeah, and if you're wondering what he looks like, he's Genji. Yes, definitely. Like, Overwatch? Yes. Yeah. To yes. go for a potentially deeper cut here, it's like if Genji had a baby with the elfin lead girl in her helmet suit, suit thing. Wow, that reached a much broader audience. <laughs> yeah, now they get it. Thank you. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I don't know who this Genji guy is. Okay, right. well, imagine Genji? him. Right. Imagine and someone hearing the reference to episode, Genji. Like, he looks like Genji? In an episode where we, we went with Halsu, I feel like anything's <laughs> on the table. Yeah, that, you know what you mean? My comment that cleared up everything for everybody? <laughs> so you fight Gray Fox. Um, Hal Emmerich is there. He pees his pants and says, this is just like one of my Japanese animes. Again, another kind of tipping his line. Tipping his hand to what kind of animes he's watching. <laughs> and, well, not the P. It's the <laughs> robot fighting. Oh. <laughs> and this fight, is Sorry. A, this fight is a mess. I don't like this um, fight. Yeah. You yeah. have to like leave weird grenades to ruin the robot he, man's senses and then punch him from nothing behind? about this. mate. He like plays hide and seek with you. He says a weapon like that won't work on me if you try to shoot him. It does sometimes. Come out and fight me like a man. Powers up into invisible suit yeah. mode. Like, right. right. like, sure. I'm teleport. Oh, yeah. He's invisible and teleporting for part of this fight. And doing backhand springs and also releasing electric fields from his body while he's yeah. melting. 
we ever learn? We don't. We don't know anything about how he became a robot. We do. We do. Oh, okay. Yeah, you'll learn that later. Okay. Naomi. Okay, like mm-hmm. we should just tell you this now. This is Naomi Hunter's adoptive brother, Frank Yeager. Oh, I do. Remember He's this. Gray Fox, and sometime after you defeated him when he was still Gray Fox, he was experimented on by some other government, maybe the U.S. government, and turned into a half cyborg. I don't know if half cyborg is. That's I think redundant. cyborg. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean. He gets turned into a cyborg and he gets a sword or something. And now he's like a superhero, but mentally like he is extremely unstable. He has like problems with his nervous system. He's going, he doesn't really know what he wants other than maybe revenge at this point. On whom? Maybe Foxhound. It's kind of unclear. Yeah. And um, yeah, so he kind of sees you beating him up as some kind of last plea, like some kind of redemption for his his warrior spirit of some kind. Uh, we learn why he and he came there to hunt the foxhound people, presumably himself. I think I think Na- I think he is sympathetic to Naomi. Well, sorry, it's the other way around. Naomi has like an ulterior motive because she wants revenge for what happened to Cyborg Ninja. Okay, and I think Cyborg Ninja is going loose in this facility both out of hatred maybe for a foxhound and the U.S. government. Okay. But do we we kill him at the end of the fight? Uh, you don't kill him. No. He runs away oh, again. that's right. He gets, he gets killed later. That's so, right. Anyway, after that, you meet Otacon. You- this robot ninja guy just like pops in, pops out. Yeah. He's like, I come in, I fight, fight. So you talk to the scientist, Hal Emmerich. He's like, call me Otacon, which stands for Otaku Convention, which is a real... Otaku convention that still happens to the well, not in 2020, but <laughs> probably 2021. So it's like if somebody found me and I was like, "Oh, don't don't call me Sterling, call me Comic Con." <laughs> yeah, it is like that. Yeah, call me Origins. Wow, what a what a nerd. Call me BlizzCon. Otaku is like you're so <laughs> like in Japanese, right? It's like you're so nerdy and you're into like anime and manga and like all these nerdy yeah. things, and it's not generally like a. Compliment. It's not a good thing to be called that. In Japanese. In Japanese. But like in, in America. Like in weeb people, culture here. In America. In America, in if you're 90s, in enough to know that word, yes, you're in enough to It became a badge of honor. It's, yeah. It's a thing people in America call themselves. Yes. To like say that they, like I, I'm in the know. But contextually, we can assume we're meant to take this as like, this guy's weird. Um, yes. Because he <laughs> then tells you why he, like, I think he's supposed to be lovably weird because like, if you look in his And he is. I lab, buy that. I buy that. You see like games maybe you might have played because there's a police knots poster on his wall. And he tells you that like the reason he got into robo- robotics is because he loved Gundam and things like that. He loved uh, robot anime and he was so into that. He was like, I'm going to make these. I'm going to make Gundam. And he made Metal Gear uh, Rex specifically, which is the Metal Gear in this game. And then Snake explains to him, hey, you know that really cool railgun you installed on Rex? That's you being used to shoot a nuclear weapon. And Otacon's like, no. I wanted it for a burning finger. <laughs> robot is being used to hurt people? It's one of like From Gundam one G-Gundam. or another. Oh, okay. And it was like divine finger or something in Japanese and they changed it. Exploding it burning finger. Is it not a nuke? It's no, it's no, just it's, it's just a, like it literally is a burning it's just finger. Just like the Gundam's finger. Blow is- someone up by <laughs> fing- putting finger into the robot. Yeah. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> I don't know what's I, I is not handling this very well. She's <laughs> All right. Well while Lindsay <laughs> Like, we just say this offhand, like, what, well, you don't know about this? <laughs> Chris and I are uh, definitely uh, otakus, I guess. <laughs>
All right, and now we're back. <laughs> we uh, had to take a break because apparently, Lindsay heard about exploding burning finger for the first time. I encourage everyone. <laughs> I mean, the, the video is cute, too. Um, well, quick warning. Do not just Google exploding burning finger. Put Gundam first. <laughs> oh, no. Before you Google the rest. Oh, no. Um, anyway. All right, so Otacon is now distraught at the fact that his cool Gundam that he was just hoping to build because he was a fan of Gundam is actually going to be used for nuclear attacks, I, nuclear for proliferation, I'm World War Three, and all sorts of other things. I'm imagining the Star Wars equivalent of this is like some guy who serves the Empire and he's like, yeah, I built this really cool giant round space station and yeah. I, I guess I put some really cool like laser powers in there and like Darth Vader is like, oh yeah, you mean the Death Star? He's like, I, oh, I was going to call it like the, the Superstar. <laughs> and Vader's like, yeah, we're going to blow up some planets. Yeah. He goes, it can be used to blow up planets? Yeah. And they're like, what did you think those guns were for? <laughs> I thought we were making our I own planets. just looked cool. <laughs> we were building a planet. I thought it was going to be like a utopia. Oh no. No, sir. That's going to be... Juice guns. <laughs> <laughs> That's Otacon. He's like, what? You mean this giant robot, robot, robot with nuclear? You've been watching too much RuPaul. I, I think. I think this is an intentionally comical version of a real idea, which is, I bet a lot of people who create weapons of mass destruction get into that kind of research for entirely different purposes. And I think he's supposed to mirror what I think Kojima saw as the 80s and 90s version of a kid who was like, I'm going to be like, like, I'm going to, well, wait, not a kid who wants to be like Albert Einstein. Someone who like is Albert Einstein, well, who's like, I'm going to study nuclear physics because this could save the world. So there was yeah. actually a, a guy around World War II um, during World War, like the, you know, World War II. And he did his doctoral thesis on nuclear energy and essentially his entire thesis outlined how to make a nuclear bomb mm -hmm. and this was pre-manhattan project or during the pre-manhattan project uh -huh. and the u.s government took it classified it and said good job here's like eighty thousand dollars in 1940 shh <laughs> and we'll he lived in this and, bunker for a while. And, and because it was published and like out there just for a very short period of time, the name of the document got out and he was reached out to by many like Germans and Russians to try and get oh, this information. Wow. But yeah, he was uh he was just, you know, doing it because he's kind of a nerd. Yeah. And his name was Otacon. He was just worrying about whether he could. <laughs> think of, all right. Whether he should. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Otacon tells you, you know, I, I didn't want to hurt people. I just want to make cool robots. And, like, I was kind of recruited into this through that interest. And he ends up becoming an ally of Snake. He's like, I'm going to help you disarm Metal Gear Rex. Like, this is my responsibility now. So then you go meet up with Meryl. Um, you spot Meryl by her booty, her walk, actually, Yeah, it, because it, it, the one they are like, Snake, do you remember anything about Meryl? And Snake's like, well, I was looking at her butt while she was running away well, from Because she was in her oh. undies. No, no. At this point, she was dressed as a guard. I know. But when you first met her, she was in a tank top and underwear. No, no. She was dressed as a guard. When is that? I'll tell you right now. So if you, you use your binoculars to look at the butts of all of the guards and some of them you can follow into the men's room to see that they're not Meryl. And Lindsay, this is when you had your mur murder spree. I did. I did. 
And a lot um, of bodies in that bathroom. Thank goodness they disappear. One of the guards switches very obviously when she walks and you follow her into the, when she sees you, she will run into the women's bathroom. And if you get in there fast enough, she's in her underwear because she didn't get changed all the way yet. And that's how you get introduced to Meryl. But if you don't go in there quickly, is she fully dressed? Yeah, she's fully dressed. So it is an in-game timer. It is like in-game reward. And the reward is her panties. Oh, gosh. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is a 1998 strong female co-lead, I guess. It could be worse. No, you know what? No. I don't know how resigned I am. No. It could be. Actually, let me me correct that. Because this is 1998. We had already had Parasite Eve. Tomb Raider. We had Super Metroid, which is slightly better about that, I Mm -hmm. guess. We had. So, honestly, I take more issue with. We had Final Fantasy VI, actually. With him identifying her by looking at her butt. Yeah. That's more problematic than he catches her in her underwear. Like, yeah. Like, I get that her seeing her in her underwear is something for the viewer to be like, ooh, underwear on a lady. But the other thing explicitly makes the main character misogynistic. And yeah, it's not like a trick. He's rewarded for it. Yeah. It's literally like, what is the defining feature of her? It's her feminine walk. Yeah. So you meet up with Meryl and she's like, I'll take you to where Metal Gear Rex is. So uh, Meryl leads you on the path to like the hangar. And on the way, you run into two members of Foxhound. The first is uh, Psycho Mantis, who is a very interesting fight. He's a psychic. And a praying mantis. And a praying mantis. Oh, hello. I see you played Castlevania. <laughs> See you like Suikoden. Because <laughs> he reads, so he's a psychic. He has telekinesis and also he has like telepathy. And when you first meet him, he will read your memory card. He says, I'm looking into your mind. He does two things with that. First, he remarks on how you've played the game so far. So if you've fallen into a bunch of traps or you've killed a lot of enemies or you died a lot, he'll make comments on all of these things like, you're not very careful or boy, you sure love items. You keep dying for them or something like that. And then he starts talking about what games you like to play based on your memory card. But only, All Konami only, games. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, only yeah, other Castlevania, Suikoden, and... Uh, I see you play games. <laughs> you like winning 11. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to fight him by kind of tricking his psychic connection to you sure so you we can call it whatever you want pull the controller out of the first slot and put into the second because he can only read i think roy campbell tells you this he can only read your actions before they happen in the first slot so this is kind of like you can dodge your bullet so it's like Yu-Gi-Oh. he you know pegasus tries to read yugi's mind but he already collapsed under the weight of the shadow realm and so yami the pharaoh doesn't actually know what yugi played and neither does Pegasus then, because he can't Who's read. The Pharaoh? The episode of Bad <laughs> Metaphors. <laughs> yeah, this is just like Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> I mean, you guys, do you guys tell me, what do you remember about this fight? I mean, this has Oh, I thought be... you were going to ask me what I remember about Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> no. I, I feel I don't want to be the only one describing this. It's so crazy. You, you walk into this room, in my mind, and I, I very don't remember the room that much, but I, I think of it as like a really cool study with like a bear rug and there's a fireplace. Oh, and yeah. Psycho Manus yeah, is. is sitting at a chair. Again, probably didn't happen, but this Psycho is Psycho should have been laying on the bear rug. And yes. He, he, he hovers into the air and he's like, with it, he's got a gas mask on too. And 
Oh, it's very like edgy nineties. And he's like, yeah, it is, he's, I think he's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable with how he looks. Too. He's like, oh, hello, snake. I'm reading your mind and floating in the air, and you're gotta, playing uh, Castlevania. I gotta Ooh. go on record as saying he's got like a low key BDSM. Yeah, he does. Yeah, like he's. He's toyed around with it. Oh, and he throws, he uses telekinesis to like throw furniture at you. And he causes Meryl to like try try to sexually assault you. So again, I I don't remember this fight. She looks like a zombie while she does it. I don't remember this fight at all. All I remember is you have to unplug your controller from player one to player two. And yes. that's really the only thing I remember. That's how you Except for it. when he, you knock him out and you remove his mask and he's like, I have a sob story. Oh, I, doesn't he like not have a face? It's burnt off or something oh. or it's got, it's covered in burns. And he's yeah. like, I'm so sad and I, I, I'm ugly because of my burns. And that's why I tried to manipulate Meryl into sexually assaulting you. So I, I think they're Apple using y. him to say Foxhound is kind of a home for people who are gifted in one sense and an outcast from society in other senses. Would you say it could perhaps <laughs> oh, be no. a gathering for people who are gifted, <laughs> gifted. and talented? Yeah. <laughs> and some ch- some gifted children. Yeah. <laughs> is this just going to be more bad metaphors? No, no this is a real metaphor. X-Men but but, I but know. it's like if X, but. if instead of a Professor Xavier, it was the government. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> what if the army made the X-Men? Well, that's how we get Wolverine. So awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. And dark. <laughs> dark and tragic. Uh, that's essentially what Psychomantis is. That's what all of the Foxhound members are, basically. They're people yeah. who had no home other than a battlefield. And, their and the humanity. government said, you can have a life with purpose if you serve us instead. And we'll strip you of your humanity and make you think you have purpose. And um, yeah, and, and that's kind of like a through line in this game with almost every character. From Otacon to Solid Snake to Sniper Wolf. Uh, these are people who all they know is that they are really, really, really ridiculously good looking, at this thing, <laughs> but they don't have an outlet for it. Yeah, I obviously <laughs> lined you up for that. And, uh, they are really good at this thing and they don't have an outlet for it. They don't have a purpose in life and they're willing to do what literally anyone tells them not really thinking the consequences through as long as they get to exercise whatever makes them special. And it's a thing that the game implies war can kind of exploit in people. People can say, I'm being the best I can be no matter what the cost is. I, I, as long as I get to do the thing I'm it's good like, at. I want to feel like I have a purpose. Exactly. And they're giving me a way to be good and have a purpose and be good at that purpose. And it's why a lot of characters tell Snake, like, you know, like, be honest with yourself. You only feel alive when you're on the battlefield. Like, Snake is, Snake is basically a person who is only good at killing. And his character reflects the fact that he's going to continue being used as a tool for that. That's as why long as he has a desire to like have self actualization. Because he's definitely not good at talking to women. That's I tell it. you what. <laughs> That's why he can't stay retired. Yeah. That's why he can't stay retired. It's also I think like the implication is he kind of wants to be doing this. Like he doesn't yeah. feel like he's doing what he was meant like, to do. I'm getting too old for this shit. And My you know, kind of intersects with the genetics element of this, which we'll get into a little later. Yeah. So so at this point, we've defeated Psychomantis, and he yeah. is dead. He is definitely dead. This he, he's and dead. This dead. one stays dead. Yeah. yeah. No, he, he, and most of the people stay dead, dead. So um, 
Psychomantis. I put in a note that he went Akira as a kid after intense abuse and killed his whole town. We so that's just his like backstory. Nailing the references. This <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're like, yeah, we're making like reasonable references and explanations and, and, and metaphors, you know, not helpful ones like uh, Star Trek where they're like, yeah, if we keep on putting energy into it. It'll explode like a balloon. And, you know. Wow. Even I'm lost. I now. don't know what this is. No, it's saying like our, our metaphors are really on point, like Star Trek. Did you just do a bad metaphor this for was, talking about this a is bad like, metaphor? This is metaphor inception. <laughs> oh, no. There's no getting back from this. We're stuck in the metaphor pit. This is like that episode of Rick and Morty where they you, do inception. Yeah, you, you keep on thinking we've keep hit, going deeper into the metaphor. <laughs> you think we've hit metaphor bedrock, but I can go deeper than that. No. All right, fine. You know what? Get it out of your system. No, 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 no. So we defeat Psycho Mantis. So you defeat Psycho Mantis, and then you and Meryl go out into the snow fields where you run into a bunch of wolves, which you don't have context for yet, until you get to the other side of them when Meryl starts getting shot up by a sniper on the the far side of this long This was very upsetting for me in this game. Like, most of this game, I was like, oh, yeah, it's Metal Gear Solid. That happened, and I was like, who shot Meryl? It's so violent. Yes, it's and it's it's... And the cutscene is pretty cinematic. Yeah, it's you step see up. from Snake's perspective. This is like where the camera gets wrenched from you and you watch from Snake's perspective as Meryl gets like kneecapped. Mm-hmm. And there's a definite feeling of helplessness because when you go to get her, you get you shot don't at. progress the plot with her. No. And, I, and like it's worth pointing out that up to this point, Meryl has been like an NPC helper running around with you. So the game has spent like a couple hours maybe building this bond where... Literally, she is running next to you. You can interact with her. You can get in the box and look at her, and she'll be like, what are you doing? So, like, it wants you to look at her as more real than all of your other people that yeah. you've been talking to. So, once Meryl's shot, you can't get her because Sniper Wolf will sniper, shoot at you. Sniper Wolf is there. You need a sniper rifle right. to and this, beat her. This requires backtracking, so much backtracking. Of the, Snake's like, I better go back to the beginning of the game to find a sniper rifle, and I'll leave Meryl here. This was when the game lost me. This was a very odd bit of logic here. Because I, I was so emotionally invested, like the most of emotionally invested for the first time in the game. And it puts, like the pacing is so wrong for and, me. And it makes Snake make a, a like kind of not understandable decision here. And a not very heroic decision. Yeah. Well, at least pull her out. Yeah. The, yeah. It, it was strange. And even after you get the sniper rifle, you defeat the, the sniper on the other side. Well, and by that point, I'm like, over it. Yeah. Like, like she's I've gone. Back to well, you come back. Yeah. The Wait. stakes are gone. Also, just to just to emphasize how long this backtracking is, it's like it, like I didn't know where I was going or my friends weren't didn't know where they were going. This took like three oh, days for us to you figure have, you it have out. You to know to call the right call people on the codec to ask them like where do I get a sniper rifle? And they will refer to it by the actual name of the location, which is the armory. But if you don't remember what the armory is... Or where that is. Yeah, it's going to be tough. The armory is a place that you do go back to a lot in the game because you get new key cards Mm -hmm. and you get access to more weapons. But yeah, it could take you a while. You come back and then not only is Meryl gone, after you defeat Sniper Wolf, you get captured. Like you get down, go down the corridor. You didn't really beat her. So you're not even rewarded for that effort. This is definitely like... A low, not a low point just like in terms of like your investment in the game, but it's, it's definitely a low point for Snake. Everything is going wrong for Snake. Yeah. You get captured. 
Revolver Ocelot. Maybe dead. Yeah. You are in custody of Revolver Ocelot, and he... That's the guy who lost his arm earlier, Mm -hmm. in case you didn't remember, listener. So Revolver Ocelot has now captured you and is torturing you, and you have to do a mini game that sucks. <laughs> we you, replayed it like so you, many times. You have to mash, mash the circle button. You have to mash the circle button and it gets progressively harder. And He's like electrocuting he's you? He's electrocuting you. And he says if, you're, if you ever pass out, then that means you don't love Meryl enough and I'm going to kill her. And literally, this is a point in the game, like a flag in the game, where if you pass out, you get a different ending. Yes, actually, yeah. Well, no, it's not if you pass out. So one of three things can happen at this point. One, you don't push circle fast enough and you just die. Like, Revolver Ocelot kills you by accident. It's a fail state, yeah. Two, you realize you are not going to be able to push it fast enough, so you push start to submit and say, I give up. That will cause Meryl to die. Three, you do not submit. You push circle fast enough. You impress Revolver Ocelot, and he's like, okay, cool. I guess I won't kill Meryl for some reason. And then <laughs> you just go to the next part of the game. I will say, I think maybe this is a good point to have a brief side conversation about the use of Meryl as a love interest. And this happens a lot in any action mm-hmm. movie, game, whatever, where it's like, I don't know, here's a guy and here's a girl. They've been around each other in a high-stakes situation for 20 minutes I guess they're in love. Yeah. I mean, like, that is really adventuring together. Adventuring together with somebody really does make you closer. It does. does, But there are movies like I love romance in any plot ever. Like it doesn't take much for me to be on board. Like I was already in on the idea of Meryl and keeping her alive. It was just weird for the text of the game to be so overt. Like you, you got to love her because you've met her. An extreme, like I think intentionally extreme example of you knowing someone for half an hour, but it's been such an eventful half an hour that now you are bound by fate. Yeah, and and for the game to just... For third parties who... I don't even know why they would know that Snake has any connection with Meryl, honestly. Sniper Wolf saw you together walking yeah. down a hallway. A hallway. Sniper Wolf... Yeah, that is, I think that is explicitly it. Sniper Wolf is trying to use Meryl to goad you into a sniper battle? Yeah, but like... For then Ocelot to infer that you must love her. Yeah. There's a lot of assumptions and misogyny going. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, I I don't know. So. But it's an alternate timeline future where uh, Metal Gears are around. So probably misogyny is probably more prevalent. I think we know that Ocelot is a sadist. Like, he loves torturing people. I think Ocelot doesn't actually care if you love Meryl or not. He's hoping you do care about this hostage he's taken and he wants you to resist the torture as much as you can because it makes it more fun for him. Yeah, but I I mean, also I think the game just says they're in love in in other other points too. No, no, I agree. (laughs) I mean, like, I'm just like thinking like, but why does Ocelot's point of view? So I think um, at this point, regardless of what you do, you have like a short period where Snake's like drifting in and out of consciousness and he hears Ocelot talking to Liquid and Liquid's like, Hey, oh, have careful. we said who Liquid is? No, we don't know yet. Oh, yeah, Liquid Snake is but actually like as the a leader yes. of Foxhound, and he is Snake's twin brother. But does Snake Snake know that at this point? I'm actually unsure. I think he does know. So, and when we say twin brother, and we want you to imagine Snake, who is you know '80s kind of mullet, dark hair, whatever, like Svelte. Liquid is 
ripped, long metal, like it's an Adonis. yellow blonde hair. Yeah. I mean, in this game, it's easy to make anyone twins. <laughs> <laughs> you just have the suggestion of a face. That is true. So Liquid Snake, just for clarity, he is the leader of Foxhound. He uh, looks a lot like Solid Snake. And he's talking to uh, Revolver Ocelot, and he's like, hey, be careful. You don't want to accidentally kill him like you did the the DARPA chief, which is weird because you saw the DARPA chief die. But as we said, that was not him. And um, he also says to, uh, to Revolver Ocelot, we have to figure out what killed the arms tech president and decoy octopus. So they don't even know why these people died. So... You're back in this cell, and you need to figure out how to escape from this as Solid Snake. You also happen to see, I believe, the rotting carcass of the DARPA chief. The actual DARPA yeah, chief. Yeah, who actually died way before you even got here. And um, I think there's and two snake, ways you can do the it. And Snake aha moment, oh, the original DARPA chief was Decoy Octopus? Or is that something that they just trust the player? To they trust together? the player. Which is good. I like yeah. that. Snake never allu- never says anything about Decoy Octopus I love the rest that. of the game. I, yeah, that is very cool. And uh, I just love that there is that side plot that, like, it, it not only doesn't work for Foxhound, but Snake never is forced to, like, figure out that yeah. it didn't work. It's just in there for the player. And so while you're in the prison cell... Yeah, you uh, Otacon get, shows yeah. up and he's invisible. He, he says to you, oh, yeah, I made these invisible cloaking suits. <laughs> and Snake says, give me one. <laughs> and Otacon's like, oh, I only brought one. <laughs> so my bad. And Snake's like, well, what, what are you going to do? Like, I didn't even think. He's like, Actually, oh, he, he, for he you? reveals to you that the rest were missing, which oh. is a little bit disconcerting. Yeah, they're missing. But he's Otacon looks at you and, and Snake says, like, how can you help me? Why are you here if you can't provide any help? And Otacon gives you a packet of ketchup. Yeah, and a handkerchief. And a handkerchief. And he's like, I'm sure you can figure this <laughs> out. And so Best you I can do. your death. You lay, down, you lay down on the ground. You no, MacGyver's the looking at this and he's like, I don't even know what I'd do here. <laughs> <laughs> you put the ketchup on the hand. What is the handkerchief for? I don't even remember. I don't know. And it makes you look like you're dead. And then I, the Here's guard- what I love. It's... <laughs> Do you think it looks like he's coughed up blood? Do you think he's trying to look like he's stabbed by yes, something? Yes, I think it's supposed to look like he's stabbed. But what was he stabbed? I don't know. In this controlled... So the, also the guard is Johnny Sasaki who has diarrhea again. So you have to oh, wait for him to go to the bathroom. He needs so some meds, this poor puppy. Yeah. So you have to wait for him to go to the bathroom. I, this is where the game is nice to him because you don't have your weapons on you. So you have to wait for him to come back out of the bathroom, see you there on the ground. And then he's so concerned about you. So he comes in to try to help you and then you choke him. But he doesn't die. I think he has stars on his head or something. Mm -hmm. That's good. Good for him. So this is where the game really picks up. We're like in the home stretch. Now we're getting to the part where like it's all kind of plot moving forward. So you make it out. You recover your gear. You, uh, it's kind of very action movie-esque from here. You run up, you like go through a snow field. You have another sniper fight from with Sniper Wolf. She kind of gives you a similar story where she felt like, you know, since she was a child, she's always... Been raised by wolves. Been, <laughs> no, she's always <laughs> been a soldier, basically. And we kill her. Foxhound, yeah. yeah Foxhound Did gives her... Did we circle her, back around to the wolves thing? Have we gotten there yet? Uh, she does give you a handkerchief 
that you, that has her scent so that okay. the wolves won't attack you anymore. Because she's friends with wolves. Yes, she is friends with also, wolves. Also, Otacon is super into her and he's kind of bummed you murdered her. And yeah, Otacon, like, this is so interesting. Otacon interacted with her and then fell in love with her. And I don't think she ever acknowledges his existence <laughs> in the entire game. But uh, Otacon is so sad and he asks Snake, like... Uh, if Snake, have you has have you ever loved someone? Do you think love can even happen in a situation like what we're in right? Is that how he says it? Greg? No. Well, he doesn't say. Do you think love can bloom even on the battlefield, Snake? <laughs> and it's like a famously yeah. not great line. <laughs> Here's another thing that that leans into the idea that this game addresses things in weird ways yeah. and expects us to be invested in non-traditional ways. And sometimes I think it doesn't pay off. Like, but like the for idea them is- to have. To be like, okay, this character's dead. That's unrelated to this other character. But now that they're dead, we're going to reveal they were like, he loved her. Yeah. Like the stakes and the investment would have been different if you knew before the fight. I think I kind of suspect it was supposed to be some kind of like Stockholm Syndrome-esque relationship happening. Okay. But it's just never really developed. Yeah. I like it. I wish they'd either done more of it or cut it entirely. Because, yeah. And it would have been interesting if they kind of compared the relationship between Otacon and, and Wolf to Snake and Meryl to imply that, like, the situation is forcing them to feel connections that we don't know if they would have otherwise. I love that. I don't think that's anywhere in the game. <laughs> it, it, it hints at a shadow of the, like, the, what it the, the statue that is casting it. And, of course, Wolf brings up that, like, the whole reason she wor- she joined Foxhound is because Big Boss, once again, gave the members of Foxhound a reason to live. Big Boss is just, what like, collecting scary. people with daddy issues. Big Boss is the main character of Suikoden, and he's gathering his stars of destiny. Sorry, another metaphor. <laughs> I, it's I, a Konami game. I know it's a Konami game, but how many people <laughs> know Suikoden? Hey, there's a Kickstarter out for the Where I did in Chronicles. Yeah. And that's Plus doesn't for sound- that, I guess. Chris has donated, I assume. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I donated within minutes. <laughs> really hope we cover Suikoden at some point. I think you guys would love it. I'm well, worried. We cover Ayuden. This is like exactly your kind of game. Huh? We, why don't we cover Ayuden Chronicles? Then? Uh, Ayuden? Ayuden? That's going to be in a few years. Well, yeah. In That's a few years. Yeah. Sounds good. Let's do it. <laughs> so back to the plot. Uh, Snake also has a cool Die Hard-esque thing where he... Where's the tank top? He fights... Uh, Runs across glass barefoot. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are, those are both very Die Hard things. <laughs> He fights Liquid Snake, the leader of Foxhound, in a Sexy helicopter. Snake. Yeah. And he shoots him down with a missile, which should seems like it should kill him. Yeah. And then he repels down the side of a building. In the worst minigame ever. Yes. A cool, yeah. but hard minigame. Um, and then finally, Snake makes it to the Metal Gear Rex facility. Ooh, On the way, off screen, but not really, kills Vulcan Raven. We're not worried about that. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> forgot about it. Vulcan Raven, who hasn't been around since your very early fight. Yeah, you and get a rematch. Off, you're just like, yeah, I killed him. Yeah. You rematch Vulcan Raven. You defeat him. You make it to Metal Gear Rex. On the way there, one of Snake's support team members, Master Miller, the Australian survival expert. Sunglasses guy. Yeah. He tells Snake, hey, did you know Naomi Hunter, the lady who disabled your weapons in the nuke area, the, like the tech expert and the sister of Gray Fox, who has a big reason to not like you or your mission or the U.S. government? She's hiding something. I think she's a double agent. <laughs> and I think he's the one who tells you that she's Gray Fox's sister. And he explains that she created a virus called Fox Dye 
And this virus targets people of a specific genetic code. Specifically. It's a virus that can only hurt the people you specify. Enough said about that because he doesn't like the implications <laughs> of that are not explored here. Hmm. It's like, oh, that seems fine. But how does he have cigarettes? <laughs> right. So then Snake makes it to the place where you would l- launch the nuke. He sees Liquid Snake and he uh, just like awesome brushed off there. that nuke or that missile to the <laughs> yeah. face. He's like, it was just a fender bender. He finds them there. They seem to be starting the nuclear launch. And then Otacon and Snake are like, oh, shit, we got to stop the launch using the key that we got earlier in the game. And I think Meryl gave it to you. And so you go through this whole little mini game to like heat up and cool down the key. You put the key into the into the computer and you start the nuclear launch <laughs> because it turns out they never started it. They never had the codes at all. They used Decoy Octopus to make Snake think that they were going to launch a nuke. And then they pretended like they had the ability to do it. And it turns out the same key that would stop the launch is also used to start it. So Snake, correctly thinking he should use this key to stop the launch, unintentionally starts it. So what you're saying is the bad guys wanted Snake to do all of this from the get-go. Exactly. And so Snake now activates Metal Gear Rex, fully like operational now. And then Liquid Snake appears. He tells the whole plot of the game to Snake. (laughs) <laughs> There's like a huge bit of exposition here. Info dump. Here's a gist of what Liquid Snake tells you, okay? Big Boss was so great, so amazing. How great was he? The U.S. government <laughs> made many, many clones of him trying to isolate like, which genes no. of Big Boss were so important so that they could then alter other soldiers' genes to make them be like Big Boss in the most important ways. So, like, Big Boss was so great that he is the super serum injected into yes. Captain America. Yeah, he is the super serum, exactly. That's, like, my goal for myself one day. Oh, my God, you I guys... I want people to be like, we gotta get Lindsay's body so we can make more. <laughs> you guys just... Let me have that metaphor. Switch. Yeah, he is that was a good one. one. That's good the one. first good metaphor of the episode. Of the episode. <laughs> well, also Suikoden, maybe? No? Sterling, that was the first good metaphor <laughs> of the episode. So he, of course, explains the whole thing about how they were tricking Snake. He says, so you and I, uh, you, Solid Snake, I, Liquid Snake, we are two of the test subjects of the attempt to create children who were like either perfect clones or altered clones of Big Boss. Snake, you received the the stronger genes, the the dominant genes, which let's put <laughs> a pin on in that. And I received the weaker genes, the flawed recessive genes. But I'm going to prove to you today that I am the better child. Is that why that snake's blonde? Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, I just clicked. But that me. also doesn't make sense because he doesn't. He has the dominant genes, Big yeah. Boss. It's a lie. Oh, yeah. He was right. Ra- so here's what actually happened. Liquid Snake was created from only dominant genes of Big Boss. Snake was created from only recessive genes of Big Boss. How does Snake have brown hair I don't brown know. eyes? I don't know how any of this works. I learned two things from Why my Why would you only squares? want the dominant or recessive genes? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I uh, apparently his heart... Only in the dominant section. This guy, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, again, I'm, I'm beating up on this game with, like, 2020 knowledge. When I was eight, I didn't know that dominant genes weren't just better. <laughs> you were like, whoa, that's why they're called dominant. But, but the message here is that Liquid Snake, 
like this, what it actually means in terms of the story, Liquid Snake was the genetically weaker child. He was an inferior test subject. At least that's what he was told. Yes. He was raised thinking that. He, had a, he was raised with an inferiority complex. Snake was never told anything. Snake was raised directly by Big Boss himself. Uh, like a, a normal child, but like a normal child soldier. <laughs> and Liquid, you know, again, doesn't know this. He just wants to defeat Solid Snake. So And uh, also maybe nuke some stuff. And nuke some stuff. And also, I think he wants to continue his father's legacy by creating a bunch of more big bosses, like with his genome like soldiers. That. So Liquid jumps into Metal Gear. Snake has to fight Metal Gear because, you know, that's a true test of which is the better... <laughs> Which is the better child. It's just like an, a, you can't end the game with anything but that. And Liquid knew that. Yes. So midway through this fight with an um, actual Metal Gear, Gray Fox, the cyborg ninja from before, jumps in. <laughs> I love Gray Fox. He disables Metal Gear. Like he shoots like a big thing to destroy its shield. And he tells Snake, Snake, we're not tools of the government. Don't just do what you're told. Like fight for what you believe in. Be a robot and, and then, a ninja. And then, yeah, be more like me. And then he is violently killed by, like, very violently killed by Liquid Snake. He's crunched under the foot, and it just splats everywhere. And actually, before that, there's a moment where Gray Fox tells Snake, like, can you kill me? Liquid Snake is really hurting me. Can you shoot me? Yeah. And there's a moment, which I love, where you are in the targeting mode for the rocket launcher, and you're looking at Gray Fox, and if you push square to fire the rocket, Snake will be like, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. He's my friend. And it's still like trying to get you to do it, but Snake is refusing. So Snake is like refusing your orders. Which is, you know, Wasn't a meta that, interpretation yeah. of him the man so of following of, through on that. I'm just yeah. gonna make one more bad metaphor, but that sounds a lot like there was that movie where uh Gerard Butler was like a avatar for people. Yes, gamer. Yeah, gamer. Lame is. and and the their gamers that would control real life people as they played modern warfare using yeah, real people. Yeah. And I'm thinking there's just some drone guy controlling Snake, and Snake's like, "I'm fighting with all my might right now." To it's Naomi again, to not trying to put her brother out of his misery. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I mean yeah, that is. That is like following the same logic of Metal Gear, where it's kind of saying like, well, what's the logical endpoint of soldiers being tools of the government? At some point, they become literal drones, and Snake yeah. is already partially that to some degree. And um, Liquid, I think, still doesn't know what Fox Die is. I believe Naomi calls you at some point during this and tells you, Snake, oh, actually, it's Roy Campbell calls you because they find out what Naomi did, and... The gist of what happens here, I'll explain this very quickly now for convenience. In the background of Snake's mission, there was another subplot happening where Naomi actually went and reprogrammed uh, the Fox Die virus. The Fox Die virus is the secret true plan the government was enacting. So they didn't care about the hostages. They didn't care if you did anything. Yeah, they the, the U.S. government was like, look, it doesn't matter if Snake succeeds. All Snake has to do is come into contact with all of the members of Foxhound. And if he does, this virus that we implanted in him will target those people and kill them, and then they will kill Snake. And at some point, Naomi broke into something to do, like some server or something, and altered the virus. And we don't know why she did that, and we don't know what impact it will have on Snake. And Roy Campbell kind of, like, you know, he kind of explains all of this to Snake. He says, Snake, by the way... They're probably going to nuke Shadow Moses now because we're not sure if 
Like now we don't know if, if Naomi like canceled Fox die. Like what if it doesn't work? So we're going to play, play it safe. We're just going to blow up this facility. So we put it together that then something to do with Fox die is probably what the hostages died. Mm -hmm. And actually, yeah, because they didn't want the hostages to even have a chance of giving them the codes. So the government, basically their whole plan from the start was use a genetic uh, like virus to attack every single person here. Make sure there are no survivors, no one to tell of what was going on. So they're just like all in on biological warfare here. Yeah, because they want Metal Gear to survive. They want to use Metal Gear again. Which could be why Roy was also like, uh, stay away from Meryl. Yeah, probably. Oh, my God. (laughs) I didn't think about that, but that might be part of it. And at some point, Naomi gets in hot water because she interferes with that. And I think it's implied that because Snake doesn't die immediately at the end of this game, I think it's implied that she lengthens his life somehow. Mm -hmm. She alts, like she makes the virus not work as well on Snake. So meanwhile, you're in conflict with Liquid. Yeah. Meanwhile, you defeat Liquid. You shoot a, a rocket into his cockpit, which is fully exposed. Like, no glass, nothing. Yeah. You hit him with a missile. Then he survives. He jumps out. You fist fight him on top of Metal Gear. You kick him off of Metal Gear's head. He like falls like 60 foot. feet, 100 feet. And then he's you, got a high pain tolerance. You find either Meryl or Otacon, depending on whether you survive the torture. You're like, we got to get out of here. They're going to nuke the building to leave no survivors. So you start escaping the, the facility. Liquid chases you in a truck. You shoot him from another truck with a mounted machine gun, seemingly killing him. You don't kill him. <laughs> I, I want like a ping for every time yeah. you think you should have killed like yes. a good snake. Yeah, like an Overwatch ping. Yes, yes. And then at the end, you come out on the beach of Shadow Moses Island and, and you get into an accident and Liquid's truck falls on him. And then Liquid comes out from the truck. And he's yes, like, oh, spoiler still alert, alive. still not dead. <laughs> and he It's not even like he's like you. healing rapidly Wolverine style or anything it's, either. It's just he's yeah. like fine. Yeah. I feel like this, This we're going to get into this right now I'm as just, soon as I say this. But <laughs> and then he, he dies from after crawling out. He, he's about to kill you and he dies from Fox death. All right. Here's my problem with this. Mm-hmm. Like they, they see like you just explain, you know helicopter crash shot with a missile uh you know fist fight knocked off a hundred foot drop shot multiple times with heavy artillery machine gun uh a truck falls on top of him he crawls out and dies from fox die i like i mean like they're looking at him they're like hmm must have been the fox die i feel like it's <laughs> <laughs> like, like, oh, oh yeah like, oh my I've, god yeah that's a good point like, really you think it's fox die no, not actually, any of these other things <laughs> Could it have been the blood loss? No. <laughs> Had to be the fox die. It's, it's Not according to the coroner's report. Who's the coroner? Uh, they created fox die. <laughs> <laughs> so what the ending is basically Snake oh. and either Meryl or Otacon. Did we say like the reveal about our Australian friend? Oh, yeah. It turns out the guy warning you about Naomi was Liquid Snake pretending to be Master Miller the whole time. And you only find out about that because Campbell's like, hey, you remember your friend Master Miller? Uh, Turns out somebody found him dead in his house. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yeah. And you're like, then who was phone? It's it's (laughs) such a weird level of intrigue that is, again... Largely unnecessary. I, and I wonder, is I think he's there to sow doubt on Naomi. I think that's his yeah. plot purpose. But does he need to be Liquid Snake? I don't. It's like, do we need to add this extra question. intrigue right here? Oh, yeah, because they'll totally be this, following. I mean, this like, game is 100%. Hats, on, hats on hats sometimes. There is, I feel like it's part, almost part of like the, the, the gameplay joy of Metal Gear Solid that 
the second half of it is reveal after reveal <laughs> after reveal. Anything could so, happen. Like that's part of like the basic fun you're expected to have with um, it. So Meryl's been a koala the whole time. <laughs> my new argument. Uh-huh. As a tool of the government, you might not be party or privy to half of the things that are going on. So when people are talking to you, it's nonsense. You're given your mission and you're said, you're told, do this. So all of that other nonsense that's happening around you makes as much sense as everything we've said up until this point. You know, because your yeah. your point, your whole mission is not to understand it. It's to do the thing you're told. That's a good point because from Snake's perspective, his mission, like Roy Campbell's telling him, Snake, get in there, get the hostages, defeat Liquid Snake. Then Snake, forget the hostages, stop the launch. Snake, <laughs> get out. Like, Snake, now you have to defeat Liquid Snake. Actually, you don't have to. And then it all comes back to at the end, defeat Liquid Snake and get out of there again. Like his his and he mission. Does. Yeah. Yeah. What's the last is so note messy. of the game? Uh, yeah. So the ending is Snake and Meryl or Otacon escape the facility. <laughs> Naomi calls you and says, Look, I really did infect you with the fox dye virus when we were preparing you with all those shots and stuff. That's one of the things I gave you so you could spread it. All of that is true. However, I don't know when you're going to die. Like, I, I made it that way on purpose. I can't tell you. You shouldn't need to, you shouldn't know that anyway. And your genes are technically the reason why this virus will kill you one day. But you need to know, Snake, that... Like, I'll your, stay away from denim then. Your genes <laughs> don't control your destiny, and you need to live life the way you want to. And so Snake says, like, what does that even look like? And he decides it's either hanging out with Otacon, my preferred ending, or... Uh, the bromance. He's going to live for Meryl. And he comments to Meryl that, like... My name is David. <laughs> that was his name. And you're my David. reason for living. No it's just, pressure. It's just like in, in what was it, uh, Community, where Abed makes the movie of Kick Puncher parody. Yeah. And at the end, he's oh like... Oh, my God, yes. He's like, my name is David. <laughs> and that's how it ends credits. And you're just like, that's a shit ending. Yeah. I like this idea that he he's like, Meryl, I've made an important decision. Like, I'm going to live my life for you. And Meryl's like, oh, oh, well... I have a boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I actually have a career. I, I was getting my master's in yes. education. Snake's yeah. like, hmm, have you read Game of Thrones? Because <laughs> oh I'm going. Otacon's like, Snake, as soon as we get back, we're going to watch Neon Genesis Evangelion. It's this new show that just came out. And boy, is it great. I haven't. The ending's not out yet, but it will be soon. Oh, and no. boy, am I excited. <laughs> yeah, he's like, there's only like four episodes left. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, so Snake ends the game with whichever partner you choose for him. He will try to be more invested in them afterward. And they go off. They ride off on a snowmobile. Which, okay, I got to say, I know we're, we're trying to just get to the end here. But is that really a happy ending about free agency if Snake's like, yeah, I'm not going to follow the <laughs> government as my master. I'm going to follow another random person and just make my identity about being with them. I think that that is supposed to be progress for Snake because before this, I think it's implied Snake didn't even have a single other person All right. to be invested I'll in. I'll buy it. So I'm like in. for him, which again, still not a very healthy life for him. Low bar. That is growth, right? Yeah. And I think the other funny thing is... He's at, Apple, like, the average, like, 16-year-old level where he's like, yeah, I don't listen to my parents anymore. They don't define my life. Yeah. My significant other does. So here's another interesting thing. Campbell tells Snake at the end, because you were supposed to be dead from Fox Die, I'm going to put it in the computer that you're dead. And also Meryl or Otacon is also dead. So 
I think the implication is that the government thinks you're only when the government thinks you're dead are you truly free from Yeah, you don't have to pay any more taxes. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, Snake probably wait, how is that gonna work anyway? Where is Snake going? Alaska. He can never buy property. He's pulling a Walden pond. Yeah, I don't know. You know, man. Henry David or Henry Throw. I you are at a max on the Henry David. <laughs> He's gonna live in a wilderness He's in gonna, Alaska. Yeah. Wow. He's gonna be like <laughs> A forest man. Maybe he goes back to his previous life. He definitely grows a big beard. He, uh, before this game started, when he was in retirement, he was yeah. raising sled dogs. That was his thing. I love that. Yes. <laughs> yes. He and Meryl and or Otacon just hang out with their sled dogs. And I want him to like, life. not like breed normal sled dogs. I want him to breed like tiny dogs. So like he needs like a hundred or a thousand Don't tiny know. little like, like so, shih tzus or something to pull his sled. I, say, I said that that was the end. There's I actually one more thing. That the just game end it already, Chris. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> the game tells you some stats about how many nukes still exist in the world and the rate at which they are proliferating. And then it shows you the audio from a phone call where Ocelot calls his real boss and says, don't worry, we got the testing data that we wanted. And also the weaker child won, telling you that Snake was the weaker, like, big boss child. And uh, everything's going according to plan, Mr. President. That they does like the the Boom. bass sound. Then <laughs> <laughs> that's the end of Metal Gear Solid. Boom. But I want to talk about what a game. Boom. Like I feel like the big themes of this game are first of all nuclear proliferation, which I think less pressing to the viewer into the later games for us to talk about right now. The second more interesting thing to me is how do you create your legacy? And how does your like uh, the legacy passed on to you affect your ability to live your own life? Do you inherit the sins of your father? Do you inherit the sins of your father? And also, like, does the life you live, is that recorded in your genes? Is that something predetermined for you? Does that determine your maximum potential? Do we have free and will? I feel like this game, yeah, oh, do you have free will because your genes are telling you what to do? And I think what's weird to me is that in the, in the story being told to you, Snake is deciding to live for himself at the end, right? But the entire game is kind of an exercise in how you don't have free will. So it's an exercise. In- because Snake always does what other people tell him to do. Even yeah. when he is? Game. When even even unintentionally. Yeah. Except for when it comes to blowing up Gray Fox. That's kind of the only, yeah. Even then, he's, telling, he's just doing what Gray Fox told him to do. Yeah. Because he's like, hurt me, Snake. More. Yeah. No, but, no then, but he doesn't. He refuses. When you Gray Fox is like, kill me. I don't oh, want to. even at the end. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. blow. I don't want to yeah. be splattered like it's this. The one refusal. Yeah. And, and Snake's like, no, I won't give you. <laughs> the, a, oh, my God. The one time to say no. I know. It's a clean death. That is not a clean death what he gets. I know. Poor Gray Wolf. Uh, the uh, other Fox. thing, I keep too, mixing them up. that is a weird implication by this game is that Snake clearly did not beat Liquid Snake. No. Liquid Snake is better than Snake God's in almost truth. every. I don't know who Snake beats in this game. Raven. No, nobody. He beats Raven. Like when they say the weaker child won, the weaker child was allowed to get all the way to the end and then still could not defeat. Literally, Liquid Snake <laughs> yes. wanted him there. The government wanted him there. Everybody was like, yeah, you know what? Snake needs to be here. And somehow Snake made this difficult. Yes, he made my very, life yeah. he made my life hell so as I've watched people play through this. Do you think this is intentional? This. Like are you do you think that this is the game 
trying to be subversive by telling you the the theme is one thing, but having the game be a demonstration of something else. Because I mean, in af- yeah, you know all, what, like Liquid died and Snake didn't. Yeah, I'm gonna give this. I ex- so a lot of times I roll my eyes. I'm like, oh, obviously no one had any real plan at this point in the game. But I'm gonna give the game some leeway, and I think that's why I like the campier, more ridiculous elements sometimes because I do think they are intentionally driving towards getting you to consider some sort of message or theme. And I will say for a game that's so intentionally pointing to the way that you as a player out of the game interact with the text of the game and wants you to take certain gameplay elements literally within the story, Mm -hmm. whether it's reading the code on the back of your box or switching the uh, input for your controller, that maybe there is some message that they want you to take away from how the plot of the game seems at odds Mm -hmm. with what literally happens mechanically for you in the game. Mm -hmm. I think it's very clever the way they play on each other. Because in a video game, just by the logistics of how video games work, especially a very like tightly plot driven one like this. Tightly? Like, like you don't have a lot of, like, <laughs> you can't like leave Shadow Moses. Yeah. You have to like go along this path. All right, I'll, I'll accept. I'll accept. Way. Yeah. I, it does seem like the game is trying to address the fact that like in this narrative form, you really don't have free will and this game isn't going to pretend like you did the whole time. Yes. So, do you, so you're saying that, the game is a commentary on video game stories saying that you don't have free will in them. I think I think it's I think it's a commentary on the fact that in any any accomplishment you get in a video game, there's some kind of handshake happening there where the author wanted you to make it wanted you to make it to the end. You have know, they, almost. They huh? they said jump and you jumped. Like, right. Like they know that there is that expectation and they give you the yes. reward, but they're rewarding you for doing the thing they wanted you to do, but it still feels which, good. Which is what Liquid Snake is doing to Snake the entire time. So yeah. I feel like the game is trying to make the player, they're trying to link Snake's experience with being a tool to the player, I think, being kind of strung along by the game's designer. Yeah, I would agree. And, like, it's not, like, the first time that happens in the game. Like, the game does try to make an explicit, almost tactile link between you and Snake. So, like, for example, after Snake gets tortured, Naomi, whoever the puppet master of Snake via nanomachines, she says, Snake, put the controller on your arm. I'll give you a massage. And she vibrates (laughs) the controller on his arm. Yeah. To make him feel better. That's weird. And, like... You know, it's. I forgot that was a thing. It's so. It's like it's funny because it's supposed to be comforting, but also Snake's looking at his muscles like my own muscles are vibrating. Oh my gosh! My I consent. wish my muscles could self. I, I will say, I think it's in this game and especially the one after this, like a suit that just tells you what all your vitals are and like can selectively uh, stimulate muscles on your body is kind of amazing. Yes. But like apparently that. it happens because you have a bunch of little robots in your blood that control you. That's fine. I don't know. <laughs> I'll sign up for that. I don't want people to hack me and just be giving me massages everywhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good point, too. Like, Snake is definitely a cyborg. Like, if you really, yeah. like, what, stop What, now you're going to say Iron Man's a cyborg? No. Yeah. Wait, wait. Yeah, he is, right? Iron with Man's the, not the, a cyborg. His power is his heart. Yeah, the yeah, power source is from his that. body. And also, he, after a while, blood. he carries the extremists or, or whatever in his blood. Yeah. Wait, are people with artificial valves cyborgs? cyborgs? Yes. Okay. My mammal was a cyborg. That's like a thing now. People say, like, like you know, if 
I don't want to, I'm trying to say this in a way that doesn't diminish it because yes, people who have like artificial hearts and stuff, like there are people who say that makes me a cyborg. And some people actually get more than that. Like they get like a Wi-Fi antenna in their head or something like that. Like cool. there is a transhumanist cyborg movement happening where people are intentionally trying to integrate like for non-medical necessity reasons more technology into their body. That's like, cool. Like I'm the board. iPhone in Futurama, which is like literally yeah. like your eye becomes yeah, your a eye. phone. Yeah. Yeah, that is like, that was a thing like 10 years ago. There was a guy. Sounds like it was a thing 22 years ago. <laughs> I, I remember an article when I was a kid, there was a guy who got kicked out of a movie theater because he had... Google Glass. He had Google Glass... I was right. Com- like permanently, or something like Google Glass, permanently implanted into his head. So his eyes effectively, it? yeah. Well, it's not. I don't think he was recording it, it. That he had the capability to record it. Interesting. And they were like, "Remove your Google Glass," and he was like, "These are yeah. just my eyes now." <laughs> and so they kicked him out. And I that was the first time I started thinking, like, "Oh my god, we really do." What is the intersection of cyborg? He's like, "I wasn't right. planning on recording this movie, but now I think <laughs> I will." <laughs> now I'm recording it with my drone I deployed. Interesting. Yeah, you didn't catch the drone I left in the seat next to me. The other date. <laughs> thing, too, is like there's some discussion in this game about passing on your legacy, passing on your genes. And I, like, I have to say, I knew that the that Big Boss was his dad and that that was like a part of the theme mm-hmm. and the meme. And this game doesn't explore that as much as far, I expected it. Far to. more of this comes up in every game after this. Right. There is like, there are like parallel things happening here. So I would say you're right. Solid Snake kind of being stuck with this legacy of being a soldier explored, but maybe not as much as you might want in relation to the liaison. Well, so the things that I do think are pretty obvious and heavy handed with it. And I don't say heavy handed in a belittling way. I think it's like, it's fun. It's camp. It's cool. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Like part of the fight is that Liquid literally wants to inherit yeah. Big boss. Like he literally wants to carry on what his father did. Yes. And then Solid is kind of unaware of how tied he is to that legacy, but yeah. finds himself inevitably chained they, to they, it. They're kind of two sides of Big Boss. So Solid Snake is kind of reenacting how Big Boss, as we see in Metal Gear Solid 3, unintentionally becomes like a puppet for the government to manipulate. Mm -hmm. And then Liquid kind of sees himself as Big Boss post-Enlightenment, where he realizes, like, I don't have to be a tool. I can go and start my own country with my own soldiers or something, give them a home, something like that. With blackjack and hookers. You know what? Forget my own country. (laughs) We already made that I know, but I love it. (laughs) Um, And I, I think that... That is a cool, like, mirror between the two. But they also kind of echo this in some other ones. So, like, Meryl wants to be like her uncle. She wants to be a soldier. She enlists on purpose. She asks to be transferred to this facility. And I can't remember why. I think it's because she wants to be where the action is. She wants to be where the people are. She she wants to see see them dancing. What were you going to say, Sterling? Oh, nothing. Lindsay's... Uh, reference was much better. (laughs) And then a really interesting one is Otacon. Otacon reveals that I think either he or his father was born on the day of the atomic bombing or something like that. Okay, why not? And they're like, their whole family has been involved in like weapons manufacturing. I would say it's probably not Otacon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably not Otacon. He would look very good for his age. Um, Their whole family has been involved in like creating weapons of mass destruction, basically. Mm. And he thought 
that he was avoiding that legacy by, by making this a robot. giant robot for uh, the government. But Look, it turned out not. If it's he's using like, Burning Figure, then it might avoid weapons of mass destruction. He's like, this robot's going to be great in the Fourth of July parades. And nothing else. It could be so, used as like construction, as a construction worker. You can lift some heavy things, you know. I do do I do want to talk like what is Snake's arc in this game very, very briefly. briefly yeah. But I do want to give you a little bit of hopeful information on Snake. Yeah, I don't know there if there are like five enough. more games. <laughs> Most of them are not hopeful, but like the the game after this starts with Snake uh, and Otacon having created their own anti-metal gear organization. Is is Meryl in the next game? She is alive, but she doesn't appear in the next game. They they reference them dating and then breaking up. Whoa, which is good, right? Good for Meryl. And um, <laughs> I think I think Meryl gets together with Johnny Sasaki. Oh, later. <laughs> Why do you say oh? Because all I know about him is that he is IBM. They are also <laughs> all I know about this trauma. man. All I know about this man is that he poops. <laughs> Ew. Also, like, I feel sad there for Johnny Sasaki. He. He fell in love with his his uh, cap not captor. He was her captor, abuser. But yeah. she beat him up a lot. Yeah, there's a you know what? I'm no like love doctor, but that's a traumatic start for a relationship. So at the beginning of Metal Gear Solid Two, Snake and Otacon create an organization called Philanthropy, and they're like whistleblowers. So one of the things you do in that game at the beginning is you infiltrate a U.S. Marine tanker. Because you think they may have a Metal Gear that they're working on, like the Marine Corps. Is I love that you just become a Metal Gear hunter. Yeah, and this so game has just become instead of the Metal Gear being the big thing at the end of the road, it's like yeah, they're Metal. You're just tripping over Metal Gears. You got to find them all. So it's well, there's Metal like, Gear. <laughs> it's, it's actually very like you know espionage esque because Snake's mission is to infiltrate and then take pictures of the Metal Gear and like okay. the U.S. Marine Corps logo on it and stuff. And then, like, distribute it to the world to, like, whistleblow. And, you know, that's, like, that's like that's some wholesome. growth for Snake. That's I like him that. doing something for himself. And not murdering people. Yeah, that's a nice thing, too. Like, I mean, for a minute. I'm sure that comes um, back up. And I, Metal Gear Solid 2, I really, really want you guys to play that game at some point. Because, nah. <laughs> my God, that game, so much more prescient. Than this game. Really? Like, if you think that this game says some some surprising things for 1998, Metal Gear Solid 2 predicted the Patriot Act. I have heard that, yeah. yeah. Metal Gear Solid 2, not like, not and a Metal game Gear that Solid has aged 2 well. It came out pre 9 11, yeah? Yeah. Yes, it did. And it has a 9 11 in it. Yeah. Like, Whoa. yeah, they had to cut that out. Well, it was it was about to be released, and then right before it went gold, that was like 9 11. So then, did Spider Man 2? Something like that. A lot of, a lot of stuff, yeah. had a scene where he would like, I mean, it was a tiny But thing. like this one is like 9-11 happening in the game Yikes. because of the yeah, events. Yeah. And then they had to like remove that. And that's why there's like a part in the game where you're just like, how do we get here? <laughs> no why am I in New York? To fill it in. How do I end up in New York I City? I love that. Um, Honestly, yeah. though, that's what I expect from a Metal Gear game. <laughs> like I, I would yeah. just be like, all right, I guess this is it now. Yeah. Yeah, I can believe that. But if he pulls out cigarettes, so help me God. <laughs> and it all like it, Metal Gear Solid 2 also talks about like how we are raising youth to become soldiers through video games. Okay. How I disagree. Like, how we're like uh Personally, I'm being trained to be really good at card games. 
and solve mysteries because I played a lot of Nancy Drew games. Yeah. As a kid. What, what card games are you playing on? Well, now Listen, play all the women oh. are being trained to be the next wave of detectives. <laughs> Nancy, <laughs> Nancy Drew two. No, all the true That's crime the podcast. podcast. Oh, that too. Yeah, we're gonna solve all the future crimes. There will be no more murder, and it's gonna be all thanks to minority true report crime style fans. women. So obviously, this is a very like plot heavy episode. But I boy, yeah, tried. We tried to like cover as much thematically as we could on the way. We wove it in there. Anything else you guys wanted to mention regarding any cool storytelling devices in this game or any of the messages in this game? The game was very ambitious. I, I, regarding storytelling and anything like that, no, I don't have any more, (laughs) anything more to say, but from a mechanic standpoint and item standpoint, like all there are three different boxes. And if you, hid in a box in a truck the truck would fast travel you places but only if you had a oh, box if you had the right box if you had yeah. the right box because the boxes were labeled oh my god yeah and then on the harder difficulties the enemies will know you're in the wrong box if you're not oh. wearing the box from that area yeah and and all i'm trying to say is cool <laughs> but like no like it was too it was ahead of its time it's hard to like there's you can no tell there's, like there are details in this game where they they were trying to like flex like their muscles on what kind of detail can end up in a video game that you might not expect, right? And it doesn't always end up cohesively conveying the same messages. Yeah, I, I liked that this game plays with what it means to be a game, that, mm-hmm. that it's asking you to think things through and, you know, approach things maybe laterally sometimes and mm-hmm. do things in new ways. And I think it's interesting that I don't feel like that's gone anywhere on the larger scale for video games. Like for this game to be so popular and so famous, because like even before I played it, I knew the psychomantis, okay, you switch the controller thing. And I'd heard that you have to look outside the game for a phone number, like things yeah. like that, that were so interesting that even having not played the game i'd been exposed to that yeah for that to have not crossed over on a larger scale into mainstream games i think is interesting but i think i think that is part of i think that's part of what could equally turn you off from metal gear solid 2. yeah that's totally fair like i mm. i don't think it's because the people who make these AAA games don't like it i think it's because it's a business decision. They, well, they too are wondering, like, what am I saying if I put this in? And I, I also, that. I also think that maybe it loses some of its punch in a post Game Facts world, mm-hmm. like in a universe where you're not going to have to really puzzle that out on your own. You can just pull out your phone and be like, "What the hell am I supposed to do here?" Yeah, it's not as big of a commitment, maybe, or as powerful. I, you know what, now that you mentioned this, I feel like it's time to do a little bit of a, a further reading segment here because I do think there are games that have carried on this legacy. Okay. So one of them, I think, is clearly Bioshock, right? Because yes. a major element of the storytelling Which we won't Bioshock. spoil because we're, we Let's are going spoil. to do a yeah, Bioshock we'll episode. We'll cover that. But I mean, a major and element. Oh my goodness, of- if you're out there and you haven't played Bioshock, go play some Bioshock. <laughs> Well, a major element of it is that, you know, you should be questioning why you do the things you do in a video game. Mm -hmm. And like, if a video game is telling you, you cannot progress unless you do what it's telling you, how much agency do you really have? Yeah. I guess Bioshock is doing a similar thing where it's, it's forcing you, the player, to compare yourself to the character in the game who has no choice but to follow orders and asking you to like 
compare your own life to that and using a video game as that it definitely bridge? wants to do some things it doesn't directly acknowledge the fourth wall yeah but it does some things more obviously knowing the fourth wall exists and i think what is unique about metal gear solid in that respect is that metal gear solid takes the extra step and says solid snake wants to be told what to do solid snake can't just go out and shoot people and be on a battlefield unless someone is telling him what to do. Yeah. So the player, you know, the player doesn't get to engage in these like exercises of logic and reasoning unless they are engaged in this thing where someone has set these parameters, like these problems for you to solve. Yeah. And I think that it's really just encouraging you to be skeptical Yeah. because if somebody, if you can't do anything unless somebody says go out there and kill those people, you know, why are you doing that? Yeah. Why should you be doing, why should you kill anybody if you don't believe what you're fighting yeah. for? Here's so, my, sorry. That's, well, that's what makes Big Boss like kind yeah. of a, a scary villain too, right? Is because he says, if I need agency, but also my primary skill is warfare, and then I need to combine these two things to truly feel free, then the end result of that is like a loose cannon running around the world, creating like violent effect in places that no one really has control of. No one has Zanzibar. like, he doesn't have to take responsibility for it or for anybody. So he thinks, do you think that his realization of that led him to try and create outer heaven, a country oh, yes. where he would that's have explicitly like the sovereign power to, to do, but that's right. Exercise that's that's war. the crazy thing, right? The sovereign power to do what? To because, exercise war. Be, but for like what end, right? Like His the own enjoyment. Reason, yeah, that's the scary thing is yeah. that in a, the reason why you are a tool of the government, if you're a soldier, and I'm not saying any of this to like say that like the way we treat soldiers is good or anything like that. Right. But theoretically, the reason why a soldier doesn't have free will or why the military has to be a pawn of the government or whatever is because we are very skeptical of anyone who engages in warfare of their own volition. So the idea is that warfare should never happen because of one person's freedom. Yeah. It's supposed to happen because they are being used as a pawn a of greater a greater good collective goal. Like a greater, greater collective goal or like a collectively like coordinated government, yes. right? Yes, But if you believe that, and I think Hideo Kojima believes that, mm-hmm. then ultimately there is going to be one person who is just exercising it to exercise their own freedom. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's saying that that system, we can all understand why that's important, right? But we, we also have to deal with the fact that that system necessarily turns certain people into monsters, something without autonomy, right? Mm -hmm. Monsters that do not have autonomy, but maybe seek it. They turn into weapons. Mm-hmm. This is a hot take. <laughs> no, we're saying it's, Hideo Kojima. We're saying that's it, my interpretation of what Hideo Kojima is saying. Yeah, it's not my own belief. But, I mean, like, is it? I don't, is it even controversial in 2020 to say that like militaries are meant to be used as like a weapon for another? Part no, of government? I just I just thought monsters was a pretty. Oh, well, I'm, no, I was just saying like, as, I'm, I'm talking like on the foxhound level where it's like an extreme metaphor for like terrible things done to soldiers. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like Rambo. Again, this is why you need to watch First Blood. That's yeah, another further I reading. Totally. Well, First Blood. <laughs> I'll just real quick. Ten seconds. Summarize right. it. First Blood is about a soldier who is unbelievable. He's a Green Beret. He's unbelievably good at killing. He goes into a small town. The police mess with him. 
they like torture him. And then he gets PTSD. He reacts violently. And then the, he like attacks one of the police officers and runs away. And the police start hunting him because they think, oh no, loose cannon dude in the woods. And then his former Roy Campbell guy, who looks just like Roy Campbell, actually, goes to the police force and says, do you know who that is? <laughs> that's Black Dynamite. No, that's like John <laughs> Rambo. And he's like a Green Beret and he will kill all of you. Yeah. And like, I know because it was my job to turn him into a killing machine. Yeah. And so it's like it's played as a horror movie in those moments where those police officers are like, Oh shit, someone's in the woods. This What's is he like doing? John Wick. It is like John Wick. Boogeyman. And it's but, Whose dog did you? But like the the social message there is were these police officers and like the civilians are afraid of John Rambo, but they've like created John Rambo. Right. Like they want John Rambo on that wall. No, it's <laughs> definitely I think I'm both, mixing these references up now. Both with oh, the wow. soldiers. Bad metaphors. What a new what's new? Sorry. <laughs> both with the soldiers and with the with the metal gears. Uh-huh. The point is we create this technology, these tools, these weapons, these soldiers to reach a certain end. But what happens when it's not completely under this agency's control? Yeah. And isn't it and like, isn't it just human for those people to want autonomy? I think that the real thing we're sleeping on is the Metal Gear deserves autonomy. No. Coming to you in <laughs> Metal Gear 6. I think that is a theme in one of not the Metal Gears explicitly, but like. Like robot, I think robot. Give AI the Metal like, Gears AI. Would that like? <laughs> oh, here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. What if that solved it? What if Metal that. Gear Rex woke up? It was like I don't want to shoot this guy. I, you know what? I I will guarantee you that that fan fiction exists somewhere. Ro- Metal Gear Rex is like I just want to fight other robots for some reason. And, and then a talk sticks lives one finger out. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> well, I don't know if there's anything more. Our listeners will want to hear about this game. Yeah, there's so, so much uh, more to say. Not, I don't know that they trust us to keep going about it. I don't think we have anything sure. more meaningful to say. <laughs> yes. And we probably, unfortunately, don't have time to share any, any tag-ons for this one. But I am proud that we got through Metal Gear Solid. This was a big one. And you know what? We did. We did I'm going to self-congratulate and say we completed the episode. <laughs> and that's a good job. Yes. We didn't really, we also didn't really touch on like the women. Don't do this. Okay. I'm sorry. We did a little. A little bit. Yeah. We did enough. Yeah. Percentage wise, I think, I think enough of, as the female voice, the female representative on the podcast, yes. I would say we spent an ample amount of time. I wrote addressing. one note. I just want to read this one note that I wrote because it's funny to me. Is okay. it just me or is Naomi the only character who gets developed in this game? <laughs> I- <laughs> <laughs> she's the only character who drastically changes her goal um in the middle of the game australian sunglasses guy no he's not he's not even a real character he's just the villain the <laughs> and whole what t- development technically Otacon when Otacon? he realizes anyway he loses someone he loves so tell us what you thought was your favorite and least favorite metaphor oh my god and uh we send us your own yeah. metaphor well also you know, I feel like there's so many angles to cover in this game. Tell us if we missed one and, you know, we can talk briefly about it or read your comment. Have on a it. Metal Gear follow-up episode. Or a segment. Episode. <laughs> when we do uh, Crash Bandicoot and we cover that in 10 minutes, we can... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I've never played Crash Bandicoot. Boy, the plot is <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Pretty straightforward. I but played I Crash Racers. 
that's the more crash team racers. Thank you. Okay. I I mean I I was very moved by that. I feel like there's something to crash warped because you're going through time. I played some crash bandicoot within Uncharted Four. Oh my god, you're right. With your wife or something? Yeah, yeah. Spoilers for Uncharted. Does he have is that a spoiler that he has a wife? She's not his wife in some of the games. Whoa. So where is his wife in those games? He's single. Oh. <laughs> He's single and ready to mingle. What? I don't like this idea a guy running around without a wife. <laughs> this is strange. Well, let me tell you about Solid Snake. <laughs> so if you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at PlayerVSPlot or send us an email at PlayerVSPlot at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll catch you on the next one. Yeah, it's. Have you ever seen the Disney movie Smart House? Yeah, and how it like locks them up eventually. I don't know if that actually happens. That's what I imagined happened. I from feel the like that's on Disney Plus, and we're watching it tonight now. Well, anyways, <laughs> we should watch Smart, Smart House. House. Good. The Smart House is actually Snake's body. <laughs> what? This is bad. No, no, no. Because somebody, the house is being controlled by not you. And that not you is Naomi. The whole, sorry, and the whole premise of Smart House is not that someone somewhere else controls the house. It's the it's house is controlling the house. The house is sentient. The house is an AI. Yeah. So if Snake is the house, then he would be sentient. Sna- if Snake is the house, so am I. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's like somebody else. You know what? This is the episode of Terrible Metaphors. That's what this is.